Welcome to episode 14 of the BJJ Strength Podcast. Today I've got for you a fascinating interview with someone that goes by the name of John Smith. Um, and John Smith almost makes it uh, sound like he's, he's, a, he's a made-up person, isn't that like Jane Doe and John Smith? The two generic names that you use, but his, his name is actually John Smith. And most of you may not know who who John is. I, I've talked a little bit about on the website that the fact that uh, the fact that I've appeared on his uh, podcast. He's got a podcast called the the Grappling Life Podcast, which you should absolutely you know, get, uh, listen to when you get get the chance. But you know, uh, John is you know much much more than you know a, a fellow podcast host. Um, I, I've just finished recording the interview and speaking to John, and I genuinely feel really motivated, um, really pumped, if you want to use that word, coming out of that conversation. Um, we, we cover a lot of stuff and I, you know, I personally found it, his story and a lot of the stuff that he does, you know, very, very inspiring. And I think you will do too. But John's background is in the British military. He was in the military, I believe from 96, just looking at my notes, yeah, 1996, joined the military at the age of, of 13. Um, and was in, not the age of 16, you can't join the military at 13 in the UK, at the age of 16 and was in for 13 years. And after he left the military, he then um, took on some private security contract work out in out in Afghanistan. So, you know, still within that military style environment. Um, maybe he wouldn't say that, but, you know, someone who's a civilian, that's kind of the way it feels to me. So he's been and faced some, you know, extreme situations, you know, through his life. And we talk a lot about um, mental toughness, you know, mental mindset for life in general, but also for jujitsu. And I think there's going to be some great lessons in there, in there for you. There's also a hilarious story. Um, you'll hear me like laugh to the point that you may not be able to hear John, and apologies if you can't, but I'm laughing to the point about this story of, um, his exposure to Japanese jiu-jitsu when he first got in when he first got into grappling and what's also really interesting about John is that the vast majority of his time training jiu-jitsu has been in Afghanistan um, in first in the Helmand province and then in, in Kabul and you know traveling back and forth between the, the UK and Afghanistan so it's a really fascinating story and I think that he's got some you know really interesting approaches for how he learned and how he was able to learn in the UK and bring it back to Afghanistan. I think we can all take a lot from that, myself included. So definitely, you know, listen listen, listen for that piece. And then right at the end, you're going to hear his absolute, absolutely mental strength and conditioning routine. It, it, it makes me feel lazy uh, when you hear what he actually does on, on a weekly basis. But John is genuinely, he's, he's uh, you know, he's an incredible human being. Um, you know, a really, a really modest guy, you know, he alludes to a story that he, he hasn't shared the details with me where he's, you know, testing out in the military for, I'm guessing one of the elite units he doesn't want to share, but that's just kind of a little hint of, you know, how, just how good this guy is at stuff that when he, when he puts his mind to at it, when he puts his mind to it, but doesn't, I'm guessing there, you know, John, you can you can get in touch when you hear this and, and, and correct me, but the point I'm trying to make is a very, very modest guy as well, so I think he's got such a wealth of life experience that we can learn from, and I was, you know, honoured to get him on the show and to 
to be able to you know allow you guys to listen to his story so you know before we get into it two two things um I used a, a new software again for recording this audio. I actually phoned in on a landline, so it sounds like I'm the one calling in to John's podcast, but it's not. It sounds a little bit weird, but his audio sounds really, really good, and he's the person you want to listen to, not me. Um, so if you're wondering what's going on there. And then lastly, uh, the lower back pain solution, or the BJJ Strength lower back pain solution, is now available for purchase on bjjstrength.com and take a look at some of the testimonials from Koji and also from Jessica to see how much success they've had with their lower back, you know, fixing problems they've had with lower back pain for years and years and years with the BJJ Strength program. So head over to the website, there's a free ebook on there as well that's going to give you some quick and easy to implement solutions for lower back pain so you can start fixing that problem straight away. But with that, guys, let's get in, into the show and uh, this amazing discussion with John. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast, helping you be your best physically on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt. And physical optimization specialist Lawrence Griffiths. So, guys, welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast. Today, I've got um, an esteemed guest of me, Mr. John Smith, all the way from Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, and John and I, we've we've chatted a couple of times now, mate, but we've never actually met in person. And we we met via your podcast, right? The the, the grappling grappling life podcast and that, that was that was the first podcast i got interviewed on i'd done podcasts in the past like hostings and stuff back in the uk but the first time i got interviewed as bjj strength i suppose um and we've kind of you know i think got got to know each other pretty well since then and uh, i think you know john you've got an, an incredibly interesting background you know both before jujitsu, um, you know, with the stuff in the military, the stuff that you're doing now, you know, actually being based in Afghanistan for a large part of the year, um, kind of, you know, how you manage to still train, uh, you know, while while you while you're there, um, some of the, some of the approaches to training and the mental side of things that we've talked about in the past, um, and you know, obviously the, the the podcast that you've had, and you've had some. You've had some great guests on there, right? I know Clark Gracie's been on your podcast, and yeah, some, some really big names that I forget, but you'll have to tell people. But um, yeah, and that—that's—that's that, that, that's who you are, John. So say, say hello, and maybe <laughs> add a little bit to that. Well, thank you for that great welcome. Um, and like you, this is my first podcast as a guest. Um, really, I'm normally on your side of the phone, um, interviewing people. Um, so this is this is quite refreshing. It's quite intimidating, to be fair, as well. Um, I never anticipated myself um, sitting on a phone with someone, sort of interviewing me, talking to me about stuff. So um, I've got a few notes down because just to make sure I'm prepared. So I know, um, this I'll must, tell you. I'll, this must be how you felt. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I was nervous. Yeah, I was I am nervous now. actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, but it, but but it's but honestly, right? You'll get into it. And I after about kind of ten fifteen minutes, I was I was kind of golden. But I, yeah, I had a shit ton of notes the first time that we spoke, <laughs> like loads and loads and loads of notes. Um, oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. And so 
uh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I'm, I'm sure this is going to flow flow naturally. So you're, tell people where you are right now. So uh, right now, um, I'm based in Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, I'm a private security contractor. Um, I work for on a government contract. I won't say what I do, what what, it, what one it is, but I work for a British government contract. Um, basically, I spend um, nine weeks at a time. I get nine weeks at work and three weeks at home, and I provide provide uh, provide private security. So I'm pretty much looking after diplomats um, for the nine weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. My previous background was military. Um, and that's what sort of got me into this game was my background in the military. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty much I'm into my fourth week of my rotation right now. Yeah. Do you when you um so four weeks in, at what point do you like shit? I I, I can't wait to get home. On day one. Really? <laughs> yeah. You know when I'm at the um, I get in the car, so I'm at home. I've got me three weeks, and it's not long, you know. And yeah. my kid, my, my youngest kid, I've got a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. And even now my 12-year-old gets really upset. My eldest lad, he's seen me do this since he was a baby. Um, but my youngest lad, he still gets upset. And that upsets me. And I I, mean, I cry in a taxi. This is no bullshit, man. I cry in a taxi. Yeah. And I pretty much got the same taxi driver he sort of knows now when I set phone it up. He sort of come, comes and gets me. So he's cool. Yeah. He, he see me crying about a ton of times in the back of the car. Um, but yeah. from that moment on, I'm like, literally, this is shit. Um, but to be fair, once I get to that airport, my mind switched off. Then I go, right, look, get into work mode. It's what you got to do. How you got to provide for your family. And this is why your kids can have what they want and you can go on hot, cool holidays and stuff. So you just got to switch. You just got to switch your brain slightly because it's a long time away from people you love. And it's obviously yeah. it's dangerous what we do. So there's always a, there's that threat of loss of life or permanent injury. So you just got to switch that off and remember why yeah. you do it. Um, but I always want to go home on that day. I could, I could easily turn around if I had, if I had a reason, you know, I'm not saying my family's not a reason to turn around, but you've got to pay the bills. Like we were talking about before, you've got to work. You've got to pay these bills. Yeah. So yeah, I, I could turn around on that one day. But once I'm in and I'm settled, you've just got to flood on. I don't, we, I don't, don't have a day so like where we have um, in work here we work seven days a week so i don't work yeah. from monday to sunday i just work and whatever day it is it's today some days like i'll speak to say i'll go to phone her up and i'll wake my wife up sarah and she's like what are you doing man it's fucking sunday morning <laughs> <laughs> I'm shit. sorry yeah well i don't get a day off like you you know because you <laughs> so yeah some days it just flows mate and and, and next minute you know you're six weeks in um and what you're looking for is that six-week point when a guy goes out who you know he, when he goes, but when he soon as he comes back, that's you going. Because obviously yeah. he gets his three weeks. So, yeah. That was took quite a while to tell you that. No, I, I find I find this stuff fascinating. Right? We, we talked about this last time we spoke. I've, I've never been in the military, right? I've got no associations with the military whatsoever. But if I, I know you're not in the military now, but you were. Um, but I, I find all of this stuff fascinating that, you know, what people, uh, you know, uh, are willing, not uh, willing to do, but also capable of doing, right, when you, when you put your mind to it and put yourself in those situations. Yeah. Well, this wasn't, this was, the, what I'm doing now 
it wasn't done out of choice. It was sort of, I was leaving the military and I was like, what am I going to do next? And I joined the military like 16 back in 96. I had no qualifications from school. And, and that wasn't stupid. And I found that out when I became an adult. And I go on these military courses and they're quite intense. It's, you know, you've got, it's fast learning and you've, and you're tested at all times. And I realized, wow, I'm, cl- I'm, not, I'm not stupid because I can learn all this. Um, yeah. but I left school with no qualifications. Um, and pretty much joined the military from, you know, 16, 16 and nine months, I think I was. And when I left that and I decided to leave, I didn't have no qualifications. I was like, well, what am I going to do? And the only thing open to me where I was going to make some real money was this type of work. And I was like, you know what? I looked at the timescale and I was used to spending seven months away from home on ops. Prior to that, you're doing three months training cycle. Um, And then you're training throughout the year anyway. I was like, I'll probably get more time at home if I do this for nine weeks at a time. And that's why I went, right, I'm doing it. And ended up coming on, you know, and doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. It um mm. seems it seems to be a big a big problem right, with a lot of people that come out of the military and then you know what do they what do they do after that if you haven't got if you haven't trained up and got some kind of formal qualification or vocation through your time in the military I know a lot of people then will struggle to come back in and find a place right find a place in in society and I, I see that a little bit here in the US and I, I know I've seen it in the UK as well. Um, how how you slot yourself in? So yeah, yeah. big. Yes. I I don't know what I'd do. I, I don't I don't know what I would have done if this wasn't available. I don't know what I would have done. And maybe so when you leave, you get um, it's called um, enhanced learning credits, and they give you so much money to sort of retrain. And I just I chose this because I knew the money was good, so I just yep. retrained, got myself qualified. And it is. So I probably would have just picked something else. If this wasn't available and there was no contract work, there was no wars going on, then I would have just retrained into something else. I don't know what, but um, I would have done something else. I really would have. And I know what you're saying. People do struggle when they leave. Um, I think people blame the military a lot when they leave. Oh, well, they didn't leave me with anything. I think a lot of it is the type of person you are. I haven't failed since I, I never failed once I was in the military. I never failed at anything. And then when I've left, I haven't failed. I've achieved and I, you know, I've, I've made money. I've earned money. And since I've left, I've, I haven't stopped working since I was 16. And yeah. people, I think it's the type of person you are. If you're, you people can put a lot of blame on the military, um, when they leave because they haven't got nothing. But I think it just depends what type of person you are. If you, if you're a lazy person anyway. You're going to be lazy yeah. when you leave. Because believe me, in the military, there's lots of lazy people. Uh, they're not really? all full-on dudes. Really? Yes, they're not all full-on dudes, man. Believe me, they're not. So if you've got a, a lazy character, then you're going to be lazy when you leave and you're going to end up in not in any way. That's what I think. Do you know what? I was going to say the same thing because, you know, having spoken to you a few times now, and when we get into your training and stuff... You, you you strike me as someone that's pretty driven and pretty self-motivated. You don't need much to get yourself out of bed in the morning and actually kind of do something. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, do you, what do you think about 
you know, self-belief. And to, to use the example of you coming out of the military, was there always a belief that, do you know what, I'm going to find something, rather than, oh, shit, what am I going to find? Was there always a kind of a belief that, do you know what, I'll, I'll make something work? Yeah, um, totally. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, if I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't have left. I would have panicked and went, I'm not doing that because this is safe. Remember when you're in the military, it's safe. You get fed, you get housed. Um, you pretty much you get clothes as well, to, you know, with your uniforms. You get paid on time every day. You get medical, you get dental. So you are, and if you're married, you get housing. It's all provided for you. Obviously, there's a small cost for housing and stuff like that and for food, but you pretty much, everything's fed to you and you just got to turn up. So to leave that is quite scary. Um, but I knew, I was like, right. And I, I prepared myself. Um, I prepared myself a year before I left. I knew I was leaving and I prepared. I set a timeline up of what I was going to do and what I had to achieve before I actually left. And I was well ahead of schedule. Uh, I'd left Afghanistan in the October 2009. I'd done my uh, close protection course the end of that October. And then I wasn't leaving till February. My date went, I went mentally leave the military till February. So I was all in months, October or begin, middle, of, middle of November when my course finished, all the way to February. I was complete. I'd done my interviews before December for a job. So by the time I'd done my interviews, I was getting offered jobs in January. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be out in a month. And I had multiple job offers. So yeah, I, was, I, was, I wasn't worried about it at all, to be fair. Do you think you were more the exception or the rule in like how you prepared yourself and how you were able to, you know, land by the sounds of it on your feet in terms of in terms of the work that you got? Yeah, I just think I think a lot of, some of it was a luck, just luck at the time. They were the the company I worked for was uplifting. We they were uplifting in Helmand province. Um obviously the war was still ongoing and the British government was trying to um, send advisors out. I'd call them advisors, diplomats and stuff, and trying to uh, aid with reconstruction and they need, obviously need security. So it was a big uplift. So a bit of luck that that was happening at that time. But I prepared myself for 13 years in the military. I was ably qualified for any of these jobs. Um, and there's other guys like me who were e um, equally as qualified and would have done exactly the same as I did and prepared like I did. And I had advice as well. There was people, I have friends who were doing this. So they give me the advice as well. And I just took that advice on board. And I've done the same. I've advised people what to do. But then you get some people who are maybe not as mature. And are just like, right, this is shit. The attitude is, this is shit. I'm getting out. And they don't think about the future. And then a year down the line, eight months down the line, they've got nothing, no job. They didn't prepare properly. Because all they wanted to do was... I'm getting out of the army because it's shit. Yeah. And that was it. And I didn't leave because of that, you know. I had a great time in the army. The army for me was, I loved it. And it wasn't, I wasn't in a branch. So I joined the infantry. It wasn't, in, I wasn't in a branch where I'm going to get, I'm going to be overly qualified with skills that would be useful when I left. It wasn't like that because all my skills were centered around war fighting. <laughs> and that was it. So yeah. that wasn't going to help me. But obviously it did. It helped me get land this job, <laughs> so that's a bonus. But it's not going to do nothing for me, you know, in the normal what we call a civvy street. We're going to get me a job working for some company, you know, 
working in a nice office with no danger and nothing like that. Um, yeah. But I would never change it. I really wouldn't. It was the. It was awesome. And what I got from it, you can't replace that. There's not many people have got what I got out of it. There's really not. Um, it was unbelievable. To be fair, the things I got to do was so good. Right, Lawrence, I've just got to stop there. I've got to put my cat outside because I think he wants a piss with it. Do you have a cat with you in Kabul? <laughs> I did not. I did not know he had a cat. Sorry about that, dude. Did you see you have, you have a cat in Kabul? Yeah, I've got a cat. <laughs> Listen, like, all right. Do you want me to digress into this cat now? Because <laughs> I can. Right, let me digress for a second. Right, let me digress. People will see what type of person I am. So a few months ago, well, a year ago, we found this. We had this cat called Angie on camp, and mate, she's been getting. Can we swear on the podcast? Am I allowed to swear on the podcast or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, nice work. Oh, oh, right, so she's been getting banged by everything, mate. She's like their camp tramp. And every cat was getting up at these toms were having a field day with it. So she starts banging out these kids. And next, every time she has a litter, she was up the door for another one. So we pretty much got now about 50 cats on camp, which is good because it keeps the mice in the rodents down. <laughs> um, so I, I, I love cats, man. I'm like, I want a cat. Fucking eat. And you know what? A little, it's nice to have a little bit of company in the room, you know, instead of another, yeah. another human. And I think animals are better than humans anyway. You can trust them more. And they'll they tell you, a cat will tell you exactly what it thinks of you. And if it doesn't want you to stroke it, it won't. And if it wants you to stroke it, it will. It's the straight down the line of cat, man. So anyway, I'm onto these cats, man. And I'm like, right, I'll definitely want one. But they won't go near you because they're feral. And okay. we had four of these little kittens living in the back of an old settee where we do our brief. So I had a little look inside, man, and there was shit everywhere inside. And I'm like, man, that's not good. They're going to be getting some sort of disease from that. So I'm like, I'm going to fucking rob one. So I'm like, right, the catnapper. So I break into the back of this teddy and I steal this cat, this little kitten, man. And I'm in my, in, my, in my defense, I'm going, you're going to get a better life, kid. I'm taking you away. Like the story of Annie. You know the Annie story where they take the kids? That's what I was like with this cat, this little kitten. So I'll bring it in. And I give it a wash. You probably thought I was water waterboarding it. It's in the little sink. Give it a wash. And I've got it for 24 hours, man. And all it did was cry. And I'm like, fucking hell, man. You'll be all right. And my, and my chick was like, look, you shouldn't have done that. But now you've got it, you're going to have to stick with it. And I, felt, yeah. I, I, was, I was like, what am I doing here? And I had a podcast one night. And it wouldn't stop crying. And I'm like, fuck. This is going to be on the podcast. I need to like put it in a box in the corridor. So I put it in the corridor and the mum must have heard it because the mum's been on patrol screaming for this kitten, man. And it came into the corridor and it was going nuts. And I went out and I, it broke my heart. I went, right, you can have it back. So I, I threw the kitten back and I was like, bastard. So I've just come back. We haven't seen it for ages. And I've just come back in four weeks ago. And this, this cat's in my corridor and it's like a bit bigger now. This kitten's a bit bigger. And I'm like, check him out. I'm like, he looks like the one I stole. <laughs> and it is. It's the one I stole and he was dead friendly. And I'm like, none of the other cats are going near me. This cat went near me. So I start testing the waters with it, sitting in the corridor on the cold floor. It's freezing because obviously it's coming up to winter now. And it's yeah. sitting in my lap. I'm letting it stroke. So I'm, I'm checking it out for fleas because I don't want fleas. 
within four days, mate, it's in my room now. It's just it's kipping in my room. Full on. Really? I've, I've just done the, I've done the flea drop on it. I've named him Bosco, and I've got every Bosco. cat in camp jealous. Bosco, yeah. Um, every cat now comes to the corridor and trying to get into the room because it's nice and warm. It's freezing out there. I've got like four of them living in corridors. I've had to put blankets out there for them. And I've got little Bosco in here, like the king. And he's one of the, he's one of the smallest ones as well. And he's living it up, living it up on a fleece blanket on me settee in the heat. So, yeah, I've just had to... He started scratching about then. I thought, no, he looks like he wants a piss or something. So I had to kick him out. So, yeah, that's my cat story. Where were, where were we? Dude, you're bonkers. I know. I know I have. Do you, know what? Do you know what? All the other stuff that I wanted to talk about, this is just... One of the main reasons I wanted to get you on, Max. He's so entertaining. It's funny. <laughs> I think me. it's incredible. <laughs> Catnapper. <laughs> Catnapper. Fucking hell. Oh, it's bad, um, it? My chick's pissed off. She'll stop sending me pictures. She'll say, I'm sick of it. <laughs> She'll say, you're like an idiot, mate. I send the pictures of the cat constantly and the cat lying on me. The cat doing something else. She's like, fuck off. She was between cat you and my mate sending me pictures of their new baby. You and the cat. Cat and the new baby on my phone. Yeah, it's you'd cool, have, man. You'd have, I dig it. You'll have, have to send a photo. I will. I will. I'll send you one later, without a doubt. Little just one, though, I don't, I don't, I, Just one. I don't want them every day. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> right, where were well, we? We were on the military, weren't we? Or something? Let, let, yeah. Well, you, you start me off again. Let's come, let's, let's come back to that. Let's um. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk about jujitsu, right? Because people are going to think yes, we've uh, we've gone bonkers. So you do train jujitsu, right? You're uh, you recently got your brown belt. I got my brown belt this year. Yeah, um, I was awarded my brown belt by my coach, black belt Chris Thompson, uh, yeah. Nemesis Grappling. Um, and I actually can I tell you how I got it because it's quite special. Yeah, please. Um, so it was amazing to be fair, and. I just put this caveat out there. I've seen this happen before to people and I always thought it was bullshit. I was like, there's no way people know. So um, I was home, I think it was in, I can't remember, it, it was all seven months ago, I think, something like that. I might be wrong there. So it was earlier this year anyway. And um, I've been home training. When I get home, I train, you know, once, twice a day for the three weeks straight. I have Sunday off. Um, sometimes I'll even go and train Sundays. Um, so, but I got an eye infection. So I caught a toenail underneath my eye and it cut my eye. And I continued training. And you know what it's like, no matter how much you clean them mats, when you're sweating on each other, you can get an infection. And I got some yep. eye infection in the cut. So I went to the hospital and they were like, look, you got an eye infection. Um, not sure what it is, but I think I'll take so sad. And I was meant to be competing on that Friday, but it got worse. And I was like, I can't compete doing it because I felt ill. It was making me sick and it wasn't just the antibiotics, the infection was. Yeah. So Chris went, um, he goes, right, we'll cancel it. We'll cancel it, mate. We'll cancel it last minute. Don't worry about it. So we cancelled it on the Friday and I was going back the following Thursday. And on the Saturday, he's like, how's your eye? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, look, um, we've got a private with Darren Morris. Now, Darren, Darren Morris is... Sort of one of you know, he's one of my coaches, Darren Moss is a head coach of ASW. Um, and we've got a private with Cam, Cam Katsuru, who runs ASW Manchester. So, our gym nemesis grappling is part of ASW. So, he's like, Are you coming to the private? And I'm like, Yeah, okay, knowing that I wasn't well anyway, 
but I didn't want to miss out on a private with three black belts. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, and then my mates anyway, I train with them anyway all the time. It's not like it's something, oh, you know, I never get to train with black belts because I do. They're three me mates. I train with them all the time. So, I go, anyway, we go to the private and it's just four of us training. I'm sorry, and Chris's wife, Louise, and we're training away. Uh, we're just sparring, doing a bit of technique. And the way we do it, Darren was like, we'll spar first, then do, then do technique at the end. And that's what we were doing. And they were doing, they were doing, they were, I think it was Chris was like, he just started off, he's like, oh, I'm not getting that. And Darren goes, John, jump down, let me demonstrate. So I think um, it was, Chris was leaning on me. I couldn't see what was going on. And I was sort of getting strangled. We were in some sort of side control. And I couldn't see. And the sort of, it felt like they were um, troubleshooting the technique on me. And I'm there for five minutes, pretty much, man. I'm like, fucking three black belts, can't get this right, come on. So, <laughs> I'm sitting there, getting strangled. And anyway, they get something sorted out. And I just go leaning on the wall. And I'm like, fucking hell, took you long enough. And it was Camlin, so fix your belt, man. Your belt's all over the gas. And I went, I looked down to fix it, and I had a brown belt on. They took the purple off and put the brown belt. What they were doing between the three of them, they'd sort of give me a bit of misdirection, got me looking away, and they put the belt on me on the mat between the three of them, between Dara and Cam and Chris. So, yeah, it was unreal, mate. Unreal. Blew yeah, me away. They pulled it off. They pulled it off. They pulled it off, mate. I thought, I thought it was bullshit. When I was, you've seen it, haven't you? You've seen it on YouTube, and you're like, shut yeah. up, man. You know what's going on there. And I didn't, it was, it blew me away, mate. Um, to get it, you know, with them three guys in the room who I respect so much, it yeah. just blew me away. Couldn't yeah. be happier. So yeah, I'm a brown belt. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really, that's just a great story, actually. Yeah, I see everyone yeah, cool, those videos and you wonder, and you wonder, most people, you know, you kind of know, I think in a lot of schools, I know for all of my belts, oh, we're going to do a grading. I think maybe with the exception of my blue belt, I can't remember, but it was always going to be, oh, there's a grade in, and you kind of know that, yeah, you know, I'm going to get my belt, even with my black belt, right? I knew that that's going to, that was the time it's going to happen. And I know people that will actually tell people, oh, yeah, you're going to get your brown belt this year. But but the, actually, the school I train at now, um, my, my, my professor, uh, Tom Cronin, he, he doesn't tell anyone. They don't really do gradings. On occasions, very rare occasions, maybe they'll have a grading, but quite often it's just very impromptu and kind of surprising people. I kind of, yeah, it's kind of cool that unexpected, oh, yeah. shit, I've, I've been promoted. I like that. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. We don't do, Chris doesn't do it. We, there's no gradings. You just train and after class, you go, Dad, is your belt. Put that on. It's brilliant. Casual. You know, yeah. just there it is. Don't, and it, it's, it's so, I think he does it so, and I, I don't want to answer for him because I might get this wrong, but I think it's so you don't, it is a big deal for people, but you know, you, you're not making a big deal out of the belt. It's great to be promoted, but you're that level. There it is. Instead of making it, a, a, you know, a, a huge thing and something that's pre planned, you know, where you know, right, there's a grading coming up and. It takes all that worry away as well, I think, for people who, who are thinking, oh, maybe I'll get promoted. And, and you guys just get it. And they get it individually instead of in a big group. So yeah. it's, it's a bit more special for you then because it's your day. You know, that was my day. No one else's day. I didn't, I didn't line up with a bunch of other purple belts and we all got it together. It was given to me by then, guys, you know, there and then. And it was just for me. 
So yeah, yeah, it was brilliant, mate. I'll never forget that. And to be honest, all my belts, I didn't, I just got them. There was no green or nothing like that. So I'm blue, purple. I just there you go. There's your belt. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's brilliant, man. Unreal. That's cool. That's cool. Probably the the best grade I think I've seen would be who was is it Tyrone Woodley that got given his black belt in the cage in the UFC. Yeah. Was it him? Yeah. It, it was. Yeah. That was this year, wasn't it? Yeah. That was pretty cool, man. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I like it. Just kept giving it. Yeah, that was both of them. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? He said yeah. it was more important. The black belt was more important to him, which says a nice. lot. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Well, it's, it's an important you... belt, I feel. It's just the, the jiu-jitsu belt, you know. And and, and I do some, you know, I submission grapple where I don't care. I, I'm not, I don't wear a belt then. There's no belt on me. So, you know, but it's still a, it's still a great thing, I think. It's a great achievement. For people, do you tra- do you do you train mostly in the gi, uh, mostly in the gi or no gi? Fifty fifty exactly. Um, yeah, okay. I do I do here. I do Monday to Friday, uh, Monday to Wednesday gi, and I keep the way I do it with the guys is we'll have one sort of theme, and that theme gets added to each to each night, um, and then come Thursday the gi comes off, and it's no gi Thursday Friday Saturday. And if I can keep that same theme and adapt it to Nogi, I will. Um, sometimes you can't. Now I don't I don't play Spider God stuff like that, but I still teach it to an extent so the guys know yep. what it is. And if they if they've got an interest in it, I can uh, if they go, I really like this, I can focus on it sometimes for them. Um, but it's not part of what I like to do. So did you, you know if I do Spider God, I'm not gonna be doing that Thursday, Friday, Saturday with the Nogi. Yeah, you can't. You can't, yeah. Did you so, did you start did you start jujitsu before you started this job out in Kabul or after? So yeah, so right, I I was still in the military in two thousand and nine. I was just about to leave. So like I mentioned before, I'd, I'd just come back from Afghanistan um, in October, and I'd start. I, I, need, I knew I was leaving, so I wanted something else to do. I wanted that buzz, that fight, because yep. that's what we were doing. We're training and fighting all the time for real. And, I wanted to do something where it's going to give me a buzz. And I'd been looking before I went away if there was an MMA sort of gym. And we'd flirted. <laughs> Let me tell you this. I'll tell you the story. We'd flirted with Japanese jiu-jitsu about a year before. Yeah. So I'm going to digress again. I'll digress again. So we went to this uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu place. Right, I'm wrong. I'm getting it wrong. Right. We found this MMA place in Salisbury called Strike and Submit. And it was training on a Sunday, one day a week. And it was run by, I'm going to give him a shout out, Joe Brooklyn. Um, he was an American guy from New York. Yeah. And he lived in the UK. And he was a doorman in Salisbury. And he had a bunch of doorman mates. One was a, a judo brown belt. The other guy did some sort of karate or some shit like that. And Joe had done a bit of MMA. So he knew a bit of jiu-jitsu, he knew a bit of Muay Thai. And they started this club. So we were going, there was a couple of us went down there once every, no, once a, once a week on a Sunday to Lynn. And looking back now, it was very amateurish. It was. Uh, there was no mega setup. I remember we, the first half an hour was a bathroom workout. Really? <laughs> you know, if you do the bathroom workout, this is 2000, early 2009, I think it was, or 2009 okay. sometime. So... That was that was the ex- you you got to think now. Well, how much knowledge did these guys have? If you're doing the if you're doing in an hour's class, half an hour of it is bathrooms. 
yeah. So, yeah. and the other half was sparring. And in between that, he maybe taught you a little move. So it was very amateurish. And I, and I know they, if they heard this, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, you know, fucking be like, oi, you wouldn't be disappointed in me saying that. Because it was. Um, yeah. But at the time, I loved it. I thought, this is mega. And then I had a mate called Billy Brumfield. He was a rifleman in my platoon. Now, I didn't know this until he seen me go to this club. Um, Billy never came on tour. He broke his elbow. And he, he, he mentioned to me, he'd, had, he'd done BJJ. And I didn't even know what BJJ was. I, I, honestly, I didn't. And he did. Muay Thai, he fought in both of them. So what he was doing, he was teaching me in the block, on the carpet, how to do a Kamora, how to do an armbar. And we were just doing it in our uniform. And I, like, at this stage, I didn't know what I was doing. And then started to, um, we were using the Stefan Kestering videos on the old iPod. It was an iPod, the first yeah. iPod with a screen, with a video screen. That's what we had. And um, yeah. we were sitting there and learning that through the week. And then on a Sunday, we were going down and testing these moves out live sparring. Now, the lads who were running this club, these dormen, they didn't know that we were le- I was learning this shit throughout the week. So within a bit of time, I mean, you know, within a couple of months, we were sort of, uh, do you want to show us that move you did in the role? Yeah, okay. So sound. And I, you know, I'm a beginner now, extreme beginner. So that's where the fear started. Across from our camp was a Jap, was um, this officer, and he taught Japanese jiu-jitsu. And we were like, and again, didn't know what jiu-jitsu was. And we're like, do you want to go there? It's another martial art. We'll go and do it. So we rocked up, and they've all got these kimonos on. And they're all fucking bowing. And we're like, right. And there's three of us doing it, me, Danny, and Carlos. So we goes in, and it was, I think it was a Tuesday evening. So we'd done the first class, and it was all as traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu was. It was very staged. Um, but the way I look at it, it's like the way we drill. You've got to learn it. Yep. slow time, haven't you? So yep. I had no problems with that. I'm like, okay, that, that's what you've got to do. Come the second Tuesday, the guy goes, right, we're going to do some um, live drills now, as we were calling live drills. I, I don't know what he called it. And he goes, what's going to happen is one guy will be in the centre and everyone will be in a circle around him. There's about 10 people. All his students, remember, we're just in sports shorts, fight shorts, because that's what we think you've got to wear to be an MMA fighter. Fight shorts, rash guard. These guys are on kimonos. And we haven't bought into it just yet, so we haven't got a kimono. And he goes, so we're going around the circle. And he goes, right, use a gold lash so you can see what the guys do. So the guy stands in the middle, fucking crazy, like Japanese jiu-jitsu stance. And one at a time, a guy would come out on stage like a strike. And the guy would have to, you know, block it, arm lock, put him to the floor. When it comes, it comes to us. Uh, no, it comes to the officer doing it just before it was our turn. And he's like a black belt. So each of us guys go out and we make Danny's next. <laughs> now we've been doing like MMA for like, you know, about two months now. So we'd learned how to do a double leg. So Danny's like, he's like, okay, Danny, go. Danny just goes out, double legs and mounts him and throws fucking slaps in his face. And this fucking guy, man, he's like, stop, stop, stop. All the students go, what the fuck? They start looking away. It was like a dojo storm type thing. And Danny's going, what, what, what? Deal with it, motherfucker. And this guy's an officer. like, So we've got no respect for this guy anyway because he's an officer, not from our unit. So he's, Danny's bitch slapping him. And in the end, the guy like sort of fucking, he's like, he's in full block mode now. And he can't get Danny off. And Danny, we're like, Danny, get off him. And he's like, you're not meant to do that. What was that? He's like, you told me to come at you and attack you. He's like, yeah, but you meant to throw a punch in slow time. He's like, that's not real. <laughs> so needless to say, we never went back. We never went back. We fucked off that. We fucked it off. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. 
That's one of the best stories you've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of my that's part of my my martial arts career, isn't it? So I have to throw it in there. <laughs> so anyway, do you know? What? Anyway, go on, go on. You reminded me. You reminded me. Actually, I want to get back into the story, but you reminded me. I actually did a little bit of Japanese jujitsu. I did about four lessons when they had it in university. They had they had a university club when I was in Leicester. Um, before I found Leicester Shoot Fighters, I think I found Leicester Shoot Fighters like a year after that or something. I just yeah, I forgot about that little episode of um, um you know you, four, four lessons. You've got a, of Japanese jujitsu. You've got to think what's in my head. I don't want to digress to history because I might get things wrong again. People will call me out on it, but what did Maeda bring across from Japan? Judo, Japanese jiu-jitsu, mixed in with a bunch of other stuff that I'd learned around the world, you know? Yeah. Without going on, you know, it's all, it, I think it all connects, but that's another subject. Yeah, I think the problem is not with the art, it's with the fact, it's with clearly with the way that they practiced it. And we've, yes. we've started doing now, I teach on a Monday morning, and we've got a guy, that, uh, guy Tino Martinez. He's a, he's a third degree black belt, um, in, you know, incredible jiu-jitsu knowledge. He's been training jiu-jitsu since '94, but his job, um, um, I think I, I won't mention exactly what he does in, it, in case I'm not allowed to. But he, it, it, within his job, he teaches grappling um, for you know certain situations. So he's got a lot of experience. Uh, in terms of you know real life self defense type stuff, so we 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 started doing a lot. I um, you know a lot of stuff on a Monday morning instead of warming up, you know doing like you know, running around etc. We do twenty minutes, twenty five minutes of this self defense stuff where you know yeah. you go in. What how how do you deal with someone mounting you? And you know we're we're there where people are not teeing off on each other, but open hand slaps right to let people know. That yeah, you've got sports jujitsu, but you've also got to be able to stop people hitting you as well. And if you don't practice it that way, clearly like that guy find the found house, <laughs> you could get yeah, double leg. Fucking did. And and he did. you know, because a, a double leg is, you know, just from someone who's played rugby or American football. If you don't, you know, if you're not used to dealing with that, the person doesn't need to be a wrestler just to run in and tackle you and take you to the ground. And if you don't know how to deal with that, you haven't experienced that. You're going to end up in a shit place. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny story, we showed them up, man. But I feel bad now because we showed them up in front of his students. So, you know, karma might bite me in the ass for that. Well, bite Danny in the ass for doing that. But you, yeah, but you didn't so go in mean? thinking you're going to show him up, right? You, you went in. No, there, no, no. But, yeah. But yeah, but even we didn't go did, back. But, but even if, but yeah, but even if you did. Do you know what? If someone has been taught something and they're practicing something in a way that they think is going to work in a real life situation, because I've seen, you know, when I went to, I'm going to talk about this one Japanese jiu-jitsu school that I went to, which is a part of the university. And do you know what? All these guys knew Japanese jiu-jitsu. I don't think they could handle a single person that played on my rugby team that had no fighting experience. No, I bet you they wouldn't. Most but, people can't. Rugby's an awesome sport. So, but you put them, but you, you put know. those guys in my jujitsu school, they'd get teared apart. Yeah, you know, it, because it, and in yeah. most jujitsu schools, right, they would get teared, they'd get teared apart. They may last for like thirty seconds to a minute, but then they die <laughs> because of because of the, because of the way that we train Brazilian jujitsu, and I think that's important. Yeah, that's true. Man. So you start. So that was that's a, that's a great story, by the way. I'm gonna laugh. I had, I had to be I had to be conscious of not laughing too loud, so then it it it, it go. Um, people couldn't hear you talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty good. 
So that was 2009. So I stayed with... I didn't... I, no, I, I didn't. I still didn't have jujitsu at all at the time. I, di- I still didn't even know. I wouldn't have been able to tell you what who a Gracie was. So I obviously left the military then. So I left that club, and I deployed pretty much February two thousand and ten to um, to Afghanistan. In that short period, I'd moved from Salisbury up to Ormskirk, um in Lancashire, in Liverpool, uh, just outside of Liverpool. Now, I wanted to continue training, and my friend of mine who I grew up with, Dave Faulkner, he'd, a few years before, he'd been on the Ultimate Fighter. Now, we grew up from babies, young kids together, so I knew him really well, and I seen him on the show, I'm like, oh my God, check out Dave, you know, because I'd lost touch with all these people, so I knew, yeah. so I found him on Facebook, I went, Dave, fuck, it's me, man, it's John, how's it going? He's like, brilliant, I said, look, I've been doing this for the last few months, I want to train, I'm moving to Ormskirk, and he's like, Dude, I teach in Omskirk. I'm like, brilliant. So only three weeks, I started to go and train with him, like a couple of times a week, a little private, and I just joined his class. Um, and he was, he was, I would always say he was probably my first instructor. Um, he wasn't me coaching on him, but he was the first pair. I'd say he's the first person to teach me stuff. Um, yeah. And the way Dave was, Dave would teach mad. He'll, and he, he knows this. He'll teach you about a thousand moves in one class. But I got the bug off him. And I was like, and I, and the reason I had learned pretty quick. And it was at them early stages. I was like, I couldn't stop. My head was filled up. I'm sure you've been there before. My head was just filled up with all this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I just, I'd be there three in the morning thinking about how to lock a commoder on someone. Yeah. Or why you got me with this. And I, I could not get to sleep. And I knew I went. Yeah. So I spoke to him about it. And he's like, it's because you've got the bug, dude. Don't worry. I'm, he goes, I've been doing this all my life, and I'm still like that now. Yeah. Uh, fast forward a few years. So I'm now doing my nine and three uh, rotation in Hellman's, and I want to continue training. So I met so how a few long guys. You, how long had you been training when you started doing your rotations to Kabul? Um, a couple of months. Only months. Okay. Months. Months, mate. And I found a guy who was a Gracie blue belt, a Hoist Gracie blue belt. He trained at the shit gym up, the, the gym up in Scotland, famous gym in Scotland, the Grip House. Yeah. He trained there and he got his blue belt off. And then I had a mate who was a brown belt in judo and he was mental on Gracie jiu-jitsu. His kids was called Gracie. Um, I think his dog was really? called Hickson. Yeah, his dog was Hickson. His daughter was called Gracie. <laughs> And he was nuts. For, and I still even, I was like, what are you on about? I just want to punch people, dude. And fucking grounds and pounds, triangle choked them. I didn't know it was jujitsu. I just thought it was part of MMA. So yeah. with the three of us started training together on these old blue mats that were outside under a bamboo roof. And I'm talking, it was like, uh, they were just sit-up mats, that's all they were. And we sort of rearranged them. And we had literally... Enough room for one pair, two people to roll or do technique with nothing else, no live roll or nothing. And they were more experienced than me, but they wouldn't teach. And they went, The only way we're going to do this is you teach. Now, I was an instructor in the military, and all you need to be is know the subject matter. As long as you can teach and you can learn the subject, then you can teach that subject. And I was like, Okay, I was sort of, I want to keep training, but. The only way I can do it is if I teach the moves. So all I did with Dave, when I go on for them three weeks, 
I'd write down every technique as soon as I got in the car. I'd break it down into my own handwriting and my own thoughts of how to do each move. And all I did is study them notes constantly. And I just did mental drilling, what I'd call now mental drilling. I'm a big advocate on note-taking when you're, when you're still... I still take notes now, all these years later. And I yeah. mental drill when I can't. So I'd be on the plane, I'd be drilling the technique in my head. Lo and behold, when I came to teach it, I knew it off by heart. Even though I'd only learned it three weeks ago. And with the way Dave did it, he taught you like 24 moves a class. And you're like, Jesus. So all that mental drilling really helped. So I've got three of us. We get a little bigger space. Now, a bigger space means we then got a tent, a 12 by 12 tent <laughs> in the middle of this camp with no air conditioning in the middle of the summer. And it's, it's outrageous. And it, and it, the heat is outrageous. Oh, it, it makes fucking hot. Plus, 50 plus. And then in the tent, you got the humidity. And it was, I'm talking blokes, I'm talking grown men vomiting on the reg every night. Just through oh. to heat exhaustion. Um, so anyway, I, lo and behold, there's loads of military lads there, loads of contractors. We start getting a fight team together. So, and it was based on MMA. So, because Dave was teaching me stand-up as well. Um, yep. So, one night wrestling and jiu-jitsu, one night stand-up. And we did that for six nights a week. So I did that for a few years. Um, and it was until 2014. Now, fast forward to 2014. Been doing MMA, I think, for four years. I think it was, if the maths is right. Uh, and I now moved to a couple. And there's no more training. Because I can't do MMA. And I wanted to be an MMA fighter. That's what I wanted to be. And even though my oh, right. 30 plus. Yeah, well, I wanted to, to be been, an MMA fighter. So up until 2014, you weren't in Kabul. You were somewhere else in I was in, I was in Helmand. Yeah, I was in Helmand okay, province. Okay. So right where the war was going on, and that's where we were. And yeah, okay. so we had this sort of MMA team. We were called Lashagar Mixed Martial Arts. And we had loads of people interested. We had all the UFC fighters on our page because they thought we were cool. And all like uh, MMA companies sending us free stuff because we thought it was cool. We got in. Remember Fighters Only? Yep. We yep. got we got like we got like a three page spread in fighters only, uh, loads really? of pictures and a and a chat on us and what we were doing out there. I really I went after trying to get loads of interest in what we were doing, only for free kit pretty much. I just wanted free shit. I wanted free yep. gloves and stuff. So you know, I get I'd email these companies and go, "This is what I'm doing with these military guys. We've got no kit, and they were brilliant. They'd send you shit. So it was just a way of getting cool stuff for free." Um, yeah, yeah. So that's what we were doing. But once that clo- once the war ended, I say the war ended. Once the British military stopped fighting in the war and extracted the company and the government organisation we were working for, they moved up to Kabul. So obviously there was no yep. military support for us. So I was sort of left on a limb. I had, we I couldn't train because I couldn't get black eyes now and stuff like that. We're down there, no one sees you. Um. So what, what I did. Uh, I was in this job for a year up in Kabul and I had free reign to do what I wanted to do. So I was going over to the, driving over to the military bases and I just put a notice up on the board, MMA submission grappling, Muay Thai classes and lo and behold, I get more students, more people the same way. I, call, I don't want to call them students, just training partners. So I started yeah. teaching submission grappling. 2014 it is now and I go home and I'd met a guy a few about a year before called Chris Thompson, who's now my coach. And it was I met him just in Spartan. I think it was in Dave's class. And I remember Dave going to me 
I, uh, I can't really do a private for you today, but Chris Thompson, Tomo can do your private for you. So I had one or two privates with him, and then I started meeting him at this little regular sparring class I did. Uh, just a few of us turned up, jumped in the ring and punched fuck out of each other. And <laughs> I come home this one leave, and I see him outside the gym. I'm like, dude, are you, are you training? And he's like, no, nah, I'm not. And now Chris has had, low, uh, he'd had a previous professional MMA career. MMA career. Um, and he's like, I'm not training it no more. I'm just doing jujitsu in the gate. And I'm like, fucking what? He's like, do you want to have a go? And I was like, no, that's gay. Not put a gay on. <laughs> I'm not into that at all. I'm like, I am not into wearing that gay mate pajamas on. I just want to, I just want to punch people and, and strangle people. And that's all I wanted to do. And I was really disrespectful for it. I really was. And he's like, look, just give it a try. It's pretty cool. And there was no other training to do. I had no one else to train with. I went, oh, go on then. And he let me borrow his gig. And I always say, Chris gave me my first gig. I've still got that gig now. It's out there. It's in me, it's in me, uh, really? it's in me box outside. That's I've still cool. got that. It's ripped to shreds. Ripped, and I'll never let that go now. That man gave me his, and it was his first gig. He gave it to me. So it means a lot. Um, but anyway, I put the gig on and he just explained everything to me. He's like, look, you just get more weapons now. That's all you've got. I'm just giving you more weapons. So that was it. I sort of put the kimono on. I came back. Um, and the guys, the American guys I was training with at that American camp, one of them was a blue belt at American top team in Florida. And he had a gear with him. And he's like, I'll train gear with you. I was like, okay. So instead of me teaching every night, you teach every other night and you teach the gear. So we started getting people bringing geese over. Um, I got a bunch of geese sent over, so I started giving guys geese. Um, Scramble, give them a shout out. Scramble gave me, sent me about 11 geese. So I had a bunch of geese for people to use. Um, and that's where and when I started training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. 2014. Had you been belted at that point? No. Um, so I was a, obviously, I started off as a white belt. Um, I tell you what I did do. No, I'm Dave. Dave had his own system when I was training with Dave Faulkner called Faulkner Free Fight, and he belted yep. me two belts in one go. In it, it's like orange belt. We didn't have a belt or a gi because it was MMA. It was a, it was all submission, grappling, wrestling techniques. But they, I think it died off. It was his own personal thing. Um, I got that orange belt. There you go. In that, but we didn't have a belt. You didn't get a belt or not, and he didn't give you a belt. He just went, "Catch your grades." Um, and yeah. I did that one weekend. He just phoned me up and went, do you want to come and grade in this? I went, yeah. And he gave me the list of what to do and I just demonstrated all the moves and then sparred for like an hour. But anyway, uh, no, I wasn't belted in the gi. Um, I think it was about 10 months later um, I got my blue belt. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'd had all that experience submission grappling. I'd had like four years experience of grappling. Um, I put the gi on and all I did that first year, I just did no gi. In a gi, that's all it yeah. is. And so I was, a, I was, I've got to be honest, I was a step ahead of pretty much every white belt who I was training with, and probably some of the blue belts as well. Um, I just didn't have the skills in the, you know, with the, with the grip and the, the chokes and stuff like that. So once I got that blue belt, I was like, right, I'm going to have to take this serious now because obviously Chris was guiding me at this stage and he was influencing me. And I just went, I don't want to let him down. So, fuck it. Let's take this serious. And I just fought MMA in Manchester. And then uh, Ice FC. And then I got a, a tore my ACL pretty much right after it. And I thought, right, 
that's the end of the MMA then. And especially I was old, you yeah. know, I was 30 odds. I knew I wasn't going to have a big MMA career. So I just went, I'm going to concentrate on jiu-jitsu. So fucking going to learn how to use this stuff. So I took the, the nine weeks I was away. I just concentrated so much on learning how to use the game, not being so much a submission grappler in a kimono. Um, and yeah. I just took to it. So you've, if I put this into numbers, right, you've been training, let's just say grappling, right? You've been training grappling for about 10 years. Less than 10 years, right? Nine years. You got yeah, less than, less than, t- yeah. You got your brown belt in about eight years, but 75% of that time training, you've been in Afghanistan. Right? It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty damn, it's pretty Wait, damn all impressive. of it, all of it, yeah, 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 yeah. 75%, it's, it's, yeah, I'll get you what you mean, well, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, nine weeks on, three weeks off, right, that's yeah. pretty, pretty damn impressive. Do you think that, yeah. When you have these three weeks of intense training, and because you knew you were only going to be there for three weeks, and then you were going to, you were making all these notes, mentally drilling it, and then taking it away to go and teach someone, do you reckon that kind of you're probably going in with a very different mindset to your jujitsu classes when you were at home versus the other people who were there every day? Without a doubt, I am. Yeah. I was driven to learn, and I knew that I. The way I looked at it was they get more of an opportunity than me. So I have to put more in. So where a guy will turn up, you know, and um, my mates, the guys who are are my peers, they train every day just like I do. Um, Obviously, they've got jobs, so you may miss a class here or two, but they have got direct instruction with the direct contact with their instructor and they're learning every day. And and I realized that at early start, before I even put the kimono on, I have to make the most out of that time with them. And what helped was, I think, the teaching of it. It helped me understand more where, if you're a blue belt, purple belt, you're not teaching. You're sitting in the class, learn the move, you move on. Well, I couldn't do that. I had to study that technique and break it down. I had to put more into the move, the more into the, the sort of mindset of the move. The, uh, you know, I had to put more into it than anybody else. I had to put more time. Yeah, do you know, teaching uh, teaching something, even if it's only a couple of times a week, I've heard a lot of people talk about how much it helps their jiu-jitsu. You know Ross Nichols? Yeah. Yeah, he's a well-known, well-known British black belt. I need to get yeah, he's top actually. level. Um, I, I can't even get him on mine. Really? <laughs> I can't oh, even get him on mine. Yeah, when in text, well, I... text comes, but he's a nightmare. Yeah, 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 mate, yeah, and then doesn't text you back for about 10 weeks. Yeah, he's a nightmare. But I know Ross really well. So I trained <laughs> with him right for like eight years. Yeah. And we actually grew, even though we didn't know each other, we grew up in the same time. But anyway, he's he he's he said to me that how much teaching has helped his jujitsu. And I've heard Mauricio Gomez talking about uh, Hodger, and when he was a blue belt in the UK, he would help Mauricio teach the classes in the UK. And then people would say when when Hodger went back to I think Brazil at the time, they'd be like, oh, he's gotten so much better. And it's just another anecdote of how much either, you know, teaching or knowing that you're going to teach, how much more you absorb and you take out of it. And it makes you wonder if, you know, how much more could people get about out of each individual jiu-jitsu class if they just went in with a different mindset, they went in taking notes, yeah. they went away thinking, right, I'm going to go and teach this to someone else, even if you're not teaching it. Just, you know, how much could you change that mindset? How much more could you learn in that space of time? Yeah, I, I just I, I had to because everyone else has got an instructor with them and, I, and it's what I felt it's not fair man 
I don't have this guy. I don't have Tomo with me every day, going over the stuff and and correcting me when I do things wrong. I don't. Yeah. I had to sort of. I've learned on the fly by myself. I've learned how to teach by myself, and I've learned how to grapple a lot of it by myself. But with a sort of, you know, they they do guide me. Don't get me wrong. He guides me. He'll send me videos what to do. I'll send him videos back and go right. I'm doing this, and he'll go, "Oi, Mongo, you're doing that wrong there." And correct that. And, <laughs> yeah, it's good. But tighten it up a little bit. Um. But when you haven't got that one person and you're not just a student all the time, I'm only a student for three, three weeks and then I'm, I'm an instructor for nine weeks and that's been since the start of me doing any sort of martial art. Yeah. Um, so the teaching side has helped and I think I'm, uh, the situation I'm in is very unique. There's not many people who are, who are in this situation and doing what I've done and got where I've got without yeah. having that direct contact with a black belt or, or whatever belt it is teaching you. Um, but what I do have is the, the, I've got, Chris has got the confidence in me that he knows I'm doing the right thing. And my mindset is, and, and a lot of people don't have this mindset because, you know, we are training, training. I just, I want to learn and I want to beat everybody. I just want to beat everyone. I want to prove what I'm doing and how I'm doing it works. And how do I do that? I beat my training partners when I get home. And as we test that, I know that sounds really? mad and people will go, well, that's not the way. It's not what it's about. No, it's not what it's about. I understand that. And, but you've got to look at it from my mindset is I'm over here and I'm getting sort of online learning. I get me three weeks with me coach. And when I'm with Chris, I'm with him more than anyone else. For them three weeks, I'm with him every day. And we're, I'm with him every single day on the mat. I'm two twice a day. I'm in the car with him. I spend all my time. I spend more time with him than anyone else. I'm in the car going to training. I'm sitting there after training. We're doing techniques after class. So I get a lot of time, more than most people do, you know, to be fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, it's, it's my test to see if I'm evolving. Because the guys who I train with here, they, they see what I do. And stuff works on them for a certain amount of time. And then they're on to me because I'm training them good. So they learn yeah. and they've, they've all become good grapplers in their own right now. I've got these guys who are purple belts now who have trained for white belts. So they are really good. And my test is when I go home, everything I'm working on, I've got to see if it works on the guys who have got that direct link to their instructor. Um, and, you can, and that's you can, what you, I do. You, you compete when you go home as well. And do the other guys you train compete when they go home? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Carl competes. We've had Mikey compete. Uh, Eddie competes. So three guys who out of the group of us of all competitors and compete when they're home. Um, yeah, yeah. But the other guys don't, you know, and it's just something for them to do, yeah, which is great, you know what I mean, anyway. Do you see that as another test when you compete? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, and I don't compete all the time. Sometimes you get home and there's nothing on. It is what, you know, and you've just got to go, oh, it is what it is. And you may only compete twice a year. Um, I competed in Brown Belt for me first. I did an invitational on my last leave. Uh, it was sub only, but in a gi. Who does sub only in a gi? It blew me how, mind. But how did you do? I, I wanted to do it. Um, I, it was a, they give the decision to the other guy. Now let's not okay. go into it. Home, hometown boy. He was the hometown boy. <laughs> I had six in it. Six and a half minutes on top. He had three and a half minutes on top. Uh, but it was a draw. I lost the decision. It was a, it was a draw. And he was, was, was 10 kg heavier than me as well. <laughs> but I took it because well, I wanted to compete. 
I just wanted to compete. Yeah, I didn't the... care. Chris just went, there's a fight here if you want it. I went, yeah, give me that. He owes it in a gi. Suboni, I went, all right, whatever that is. I'll do Suboni in a gi then. Sounds. So, yeah. yeah. Did you if I can it? do something, I'll do it. Yeah, of course. Great. is in Grimsby. You know what I enjoyed? Me, 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 Chris, one of the other guys, Gray, went up and we took me boy, me 50-year-old lad who's been doing jiu-jitsu for the past five years. He's an orange, orange belt under, under Chris. Um, he came up with us as well. So we had a night. Nice, it was like a lad's night out. We went up and two of us competed. Um, and Chris and Ethan cornered us. <laughs> it was mega. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I'd prefer to, if it was sub only, I want to do it without the gear. I want to, you know, I want to. I, I, yeah. I think it makes more sense because I'm now restricted with the, with the Gion if it's sub only. But it is what it is. I don't care. It's not about winning or I, I don't want to lose ever. I really don't. There's nothing worse. I beat myself up and I, you know, I'm fucking livid with myself and I apologize so much to people for, if, if I lose. But I understand that yeah. someone has to lose. I'm not stupid. I've got, a, I've got the right mindset. I'm driven to win, but I know I can lose. One of us has what? to. So it is what it is. What do you do to mentally prepare for a competition? And I want to ask you about this because, you know, it, it's, I think people get super stressed out or can get super stressed out about competitions and like it's going to, like the world is going to end. But most people that do jujitsu will have, you know, they've, they've got a job, they've got a nine to five or, or um, you know, something that's fairly safe. Right, they, you know, maybe they get you know they, they get stressed in work, but they, they're not put into many extreme situations. And you know, then they go to a jiu-jitsu competition, and it can be quite intense for a lot of people, at least at the start. But you know, you have been through a lot of extreme situations with your current. Well, I'm not you know I'm not guessing definitely in the military and probably your current job, but a lot of the yeah, definitely training, in both, yeah, yeah, a lot of extreme training as well. And I wonder if you know, are, are there certain things that you think just because you've been exposed to, to those those extreme situations, it makes the competition easier, but also are there certain lessons that you've picked up that other people could kind of, you know, borrow to help them with mentally preparing for due to two competitions? Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I don't stress the competition at all. Not one bit. Do not stress it. And I tell people all the time, I've got a guy here now, um, Eddie, he's just moved from, he was working in Mogadishu, he's in our team at Nemesis, and he does the same job as me, and we knew him in the military, he's worked with me in Hellman before, he was working in Mog, and now he's with our team at Nemesis, so I was like, come over and train with me, he's a white belt, he says, you want to do good, come over, so he's come over, so he's just done a, he's just done a, he's just competed on leave, and what he wanted, what he did straight away, come to me room, and he's got Facebook out, this is the guy I'm competing against. And this is like five weeks prior to the competition. I'm like, what are you looking at that for? Because all you're going to do now is stress about this guy who, who you've just found out is an MMA fighter, an amateur MMA fighter who's had like loads of fights and he's won loads of medals in, in grappling. And all he did was omenaro with this guy and look at him all the time. That's wasted energy. I don't stress competing or anything like that. I don't even think about it. I don't look at my opponents. I don't check to see how many people are in the division, if it's a geek, you know, tournaments, if it's sub only, and it's an invitational 10 minutes sub only, I don't even bother looking at him. The last guy, I didn't even look at him. I just told him, that's the guy, I went, okay, sounds. And the reason I do that is, I don't want to worry about it for one, because it's wasted energy. But what is there to worry about? I've been war fighting. I've been kicking doors now, half my life. 
and going into, like you said, the, you can call them extreme situations where it's life or death. And I'm not worrying about that. So why would I worry about, you know, going to wrestle someone? And I do that every night with my teammates. It's no different. Yeah. So I, keep, I have to have that mindset of it's no different than what I do any other day. And I, what I'd like to think of is I wrestle and grapple against better guys that I'm going to compete against. I'm wrestling, every time I'm home, I'm wrestling top-level black belts. With no fear, yeah. no nothing. It's just the norm for me to wrestle them guys. I'm getting beat yeah. up, you know what I mean? But there's nothing this, this brown belt's going to do to me that these haven't already done. And, and he's not going to be as good as them. And if I can hold my own against them for a certain amount of time, then I'm going to hold my own against any brown belt. So I try not to, I just, that's what I do for it. It doesn't have that, I don't try to have that fear in my head. I really don't. Do you get, but do you get a kind of a boost of adrenaline? Do you get that kind of, you know, right, I'm on now? No. Um, and the reason I don't, I'm conscious of this. I'm very conscious of, t- of, of, t- of fatigue. Um, I've, I used to get excited in the military when we were going into stuff, into like fights. We knew about a fight and you get excited and you're like, whoa, and you could feel that fatigue. And I knew what it was. It was just excitement. I know that sounds yeah. mad to people like, you know, other people listen to this, going into a gunfight, you'd be excited. And I learned that that's, that's, I'm wasting energy. I should be calmer. And I learned that after time on my other tours, like in Iraq, I was excited all the time. Jeez up. Afghanistan, I was calmer and I had a clearer mind. So what I try not to do now is get G'd up for I don't like to warm up too hard. You know, people like to drill really hard and get that they say get that, you know, the second breath. I don't yeah. like that. I don't like to, I don't want to feel any fatigue. I just want to go in fresh, feeling relaxed. I don't want to be G'd up at all. Um and I will take the match how it comes. What do you what do you do to warm up? Um, I like to do jumping jacks and maybe a couple of air squats. Maybe a, maybe a bit of pummeling. That's about yeah. it. I don't, yeah, I'm not really into sit, getting my partner and going over the point. I've done it, going over loads of techniques. I've done that. I've done it, you know, you know, you're like your little, uh, what's it called? I don't know what it is. You know, like free rolling to warm up. I've done it. Um, I just like to do a bunch of jumping jacks um, just to make sure I'm loose couple of air squats yeah just do some stretches and that's it try and stay warm I'm not big on going mad in the bullpen I want to be relaxed and yeah. calm I don't want to G myself up anymore and I don't want my heart rate going too high because it's going to go high in a minute anyway you never that's my find mindset you, on it you never find because I've had this experience and I think other people have where it's a it's suddenly a shock to the system. But let me just add something to that before you answer. Maybe it's because you're so used to controlling that adrenaline rush that you don't get, you don't go from zero to 100 because you're calm. Maybe other people who don't warm up but are not controlling that adrenaline rush, they when they go from zero to 100, maybe it becomes too much. I'm just, just, just a theory, you know? I wonder what you think yeah. about that. Yeah, you may be right. You may be right because... I've been, I've had that excitement where you're like, oh my God, the adrenaline just hit you and you're like, Phew, and you don't think as clear. You really don't. And I learned over time and being more experienced with getting myself into silly situations and, you know, from gunfights to car bombs going off and 
and being, a, you know, when that's happening, you have to be calm and relaxed. You have to be in control because other people may not be in control. The situation's yeah. not in control. That's mad. It's, it's, it's not, it's not something that's the norm. So I have to be able to control one thing and what can I control is myself. And then I can, with my control of myself, I can control other people. I can't control the situation. So that's what probably helps me keep calm and relax and why I don't G myself up. Yeah, you, you've accepted what you can't control and just focus on what you can. Yeah, yeah, just do it. And I can't control the outcome of the match. So yeah. I just go and just compete. And to be fair, it's worked so far. Uh, you know, I've had, for, for all the competitions I've done, I've had plenty of golds. I've yeah. only lost a couple of matches. Um, the only time it hasn't really worked where, where Chris watched me and he said you were too calm was my first sub only I was purple belt first 10 minutes sub only and I think my mindset was all wrong I was like I've got 10 minutes so I've got all day that's what I felt like yeah. I had all day so I was too calm and he went that is not you on the mat you're a savage on the mat and you were just so blase and laid back and I was like I think what it was was I had this 10 minutes in my head and I was like I've got all day it's cool, I'll sweep him in a minute, I'll tap him in a minute. And okay, so, when, so when you so when you do normally fight then in a competition, are you you can you you're mentally calm and, and relaxed, but you don't for the sounds of it then when you actually go and fight you you're going after it. Or do you kinda of build it? Yeah, no, I'm aggressive, yeah. No, I'm aggressive. Yeah. I'm aggressive. Um I don't mind being taken down, you take me down, cool. Well, that's we're gonna get on the floor regardless. I'll sweep you know. Yeah. But I'm a, Aggressive. I want to fight, but my mind's relaxed, and I, ca I try and keep that um, sort of that flow, that mind state of that no mind. Just have no mind. Don't think about it. I'll think about it once I see the guy. I'm on the mat. I know what's going to happen. I know I'm going to compete against him. So why have that worry? Because you, even though I'm not saying I'm never nervous. Everyone's nervous, but it's controlled nerves. Them little butterflies, but it's totally under control. I stay calm. Stay relaxed. Step onto the mat, totally calm, and then let's fight now. I can fight you now. Mm. Let's. But I'm going to say let's pause there real quick. I need to go to the okay. bathroom, but then I want to talk no about your mind. So give me like a minute. Maybe okay. we can either no we can either edit this, edit this, edit this out, or you no, can leave it on. Sing a song Sing a song. You go, man. I'm drinking the drink. I should take the piss out of Lawrence here. He's not there. And he'll listen to it live when he posts out. There are a few listeners. I'll put my TV on. So, yeah. Got a bit of background noise. Right, mate, I'm back. Did you, did you, you might want to edit that out. I put the telly on. Yeah, I put the telly on. I said, what you want to watch? <laughs> bit of Star Trek's on. Bit of Star out there. Trek. Oh, God, yeah. I have not watched, not watched that in a long time. Um... <laughs> So no no mind. Tell 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 people yeah. what that means to you. Uh, to me, no mind means to me is when if I'm if I'm competing off, I'm rolling. I'm not thinking. And no matter what I do, everything I know is in me already. It's totally in me. I know what to do. My body will react to certain situations. And without the without the process of thought, so I need to be nice and calm, and just react to the situation and act in the situation I'm in. 
uh, without that thought process constantly going on. Because I think if, you, if I'm thinking about stuff, I'm going to slow down. Because by the time the thought has gone to my body, that's time wasted. Um, and I feel I'm at the level now where I've been in every situation I can be in on the mat. I know what I'm doing. And I just roll. And I think sometimes people ask me, like, like, like guys are roll with yeah, the, the, sort of the, the lower belt lads. And they go, oh, when you did that move, and I go, and I go, I don't know what you're talking about. What move? Yeah. What move? Yeah, when you did this, I go, I don't know when I did that. Yeah, I just did it. My body just did it because it knows what to do in a situation. There's no thought process in it. I just know my end state has to be submit you, and how I get to there, my body will just do it because it knows what to do. My mind knows what to do, and it doesn't need to. I don't have to sit there and think, right, what I'm going to do next is this, this, this. So for me, no mind is having a clear mind when I'm grappling and not think. Yeah. Where did you, where did I, you learn that? Um, just, I think just over time. And I think it was a year. It was when, we, when the podcast first came out, we, when I got you on the podcast, it was around yeah. that time I started to think about no mind. And, you know, you look, at, you look for influences around martial arts. And I really, I really think some of the concepts that Bruce Lee had were so relevant to today and so relevant to grappling. Um, mm. I love, his, I love, like most people do, I love the his quote on like water, being like water. You know, I got that whole quote tattooed on my arm because I believed in it. And you I, really? I, I, yeah, I do. I'm like, that is how to be when you're fighting. And, and that's when the no mind, I started to think about no mind a lot. And I, I'd ask people, I'd ask people who were just better than me. I go, what do you think of no mind? And uh, and people and some people would go, what the fuck are you on about no mind, man? And you know, you what you're fucking off your head. But for me, it's important. That's what I want. I want to be able to do things. And I tell you what, a good sort of not an analogy, but you've seen The Last Samurai, haven't you? Tell me you've seen The Last Samurai. Uh, who's With Tom Cruise. That? Tom Cruise, yeah, man, The Last Samurai, yeah. come on. There's a scene in it when he's being trained. And he now, he's come out from the mountains and he's in the town. I don't know what town he's in. He's in the city and he goes to get arrested and he just, there's four guys or five guys and they attack him and it all goes into slow motion and he doesn't think. It goes slow motion and then it speeds up to normal speed and that's him. That's no mind. His body just reacted. He didn't think about it and he defended and killed four or five dudes with a sword. And he never once thought, he just did. And um, there's another scene just prior to it. He's struggling with the with the, with the the sparring that they're doing with the sword. And the, the young kid says to him, no mind, no mind, you're thinking too much. Because he's thinking he's slow. So I love that concept. And no, no one's talked to me about it. No one's actually sat there with me and gone, you know. But something that I've mentioned to people, you know, try and have that. Don't think as much, just do. Obviously, you can't do unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> it's easier said than done. Yeah, you got to get to a level, right, where you were become yeah. automatic. Um, and uh, I think the whole the mental side of jujitsu and fighting is a huge is a huge thing that doesn't get talked about enough, and it's not well, maybe not taught formally enough. When yeah, if I think back about the competitions I've done really well in versus the competitions I, I haven't done well in, or the good good rounds I've had in training versus haven't had, it, it's it's 
finding that ideal mindset. And I think it's going to be different for different people. But for me, I think it's similar to what you're talking about, that, that ability where I'm just, I focus on the process. I'm not really thinking too much about winning. I'm just kind of breathing and kind of flow, flowing through the different positions. But it's something that yeah. I, don't, I don't at least see it being formally taught. No, no one's ever formally taught it to me. It's just sort of my, you know, I'm, I really love, you know, the history of the samurai. Um, I love Japan. I love the history of Japan, the warrior mindset of it all. And uh, I love, you know, you, you know, have you heard of the, the phrase Yamato Damashi? So, and have you ever heard of the phrase Yamato Damashi? Uh, it's a Japanese phrase. It's Ensign Inu. He was a UFC fighter. I think he fought in Pride. Oh, yeah. He says it a lot. And it's, yeah. it's about having this Yamato Damashi spirit inside you. It's the Japanese spirit. And it's doing things when, you know, against the odds, you're not strong, but you'll still fight. You know, you you you, you may get frowned upon for doing the right thing, but you do it anyway. Um, I really like the, some of the stuff that comes out of Japan. Um I don't talk any, about any it books? loads to other people. I don't. I've uh, I've read the book of Five Rings. Um, I've read a bunch uh, of it, Japanese it, books on Samurai. Because I, uh, I I keep I, I, the book of Five Rings right has been on my reading list for it's got to be about four or five years. But every time I go to buy it, there's loads of different translations, and I'm like, oh, I don't know whether this is the right one or the wrong one, and I kind of stall. Mate, it's a hard read, it. believe me. It's a hard really? read. I'm not gonna bullshit. Yeah, go yeah. I'm like I can I can quote you all these quotes in the book of five rings and I'm a I'm a modern day samurai man. It's a hard read. It's a bunch really? of you know a lot of them are like that and you're like oh come on this is this is tough. Same with like the art of war. I tried reading the art of war. I'm like I'm been in that. I'm been in it. Yeah, it, it's a lot. It's same with Bruce Lee's book, the the book he wrote. I've got that there and I I read a lot of it and I'm like come on man. Which book? You're killing I, I me here, got... Bruce. I've got striking the, thoughts. Is that, is no, that his the, book? T- the Tower of Jeet Kune Do. I got, okay. and I got it. I didn't get it to learn Jeet Kune Do. I wasn't interested. Um, I, I got it to you know read some of his concepts, and because I think he was ahead of his time, and he grappled. You know, he boxed, he fenced. If you look at his stance, it's a it's a fencer's stance. Yeah. Um, you know, he was open to right. ideas. Yeah, yeah. Conor McGregor uses it. Um. So, yeah, I've read lots of stuff. Some of it is a really hard read. So I'm not going to, you know, sit here and quote stuff to you. I, I couldn't do that. But there's certain it's things wor- that interest is it me. Wor- and Is it worth sorry? the effort, though? The book, of the, the book of Five Rings, is it worth the effort? Ah, mate, it's cheap enough, in it? It's cheap enough. So, yeah. yeah, it's probably worth the effort to get in there and, and see what it's all about. You know, reading about Miyamoto Musashi, man. What a guy, you know. The guy was a savage, savage swordsman who went around challenging people to sword fights and stuff and, and you know, and taking heads. He got that good in the end. He stopped using a, a katana and used a wooden bow because he was just killing really? everyone. Because people wouldn't... People would, it was like a... It was like... These were jewels. It was like a... You know, it was just going on his travels. And he was a... He'd work... He'd work for like a... I thought the name of what they're called now. Um, he'd wait for rich merchants and stuff like that, and he'd be body. He'd be a bodyguard. He was a Ronan. That's what he was. 
and in the end he'd go around he'd, he was a painter as well and he'd go around painting stuff and people knew who he was and you get guys who, who are swordsmen and want to challenge him and he'd go okay but he was he was excellent at the mind game it was Musashi a mind game expert and he broke people and beat people before they had the fight and what he'd do part of that was having the wooden the wooden sword because people would see that and like where's your sword and go I just need this to beat you another thing he'd do was he'd make people wait so he'd say, right, we're going to have a duel at 12 o'clock. And this guy would turn up there. And he wouldn't turn up till 4 o'clock. And this guy, by that time, his mental game is gone. He's so stressed out and pissed off at this guy. Had the audacity to not turn up on time. That he beat him already. And he beat him easily with one move. And kill him with a wooden sword across the back of the head. Do you know, so, you know, this, has made, this, this has made me think of uh, one... One thing, uh, kind of, kind of a story. You know Sebastian Brosh. You know he is uh, over for BJJ. Oh yeah, 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 BJJ yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. he. This is he was a brown belt and he was fighting in the same bracket as Ross Nichols. I don't think they fought each other. Um, and you know it, it was it was a smaller tournament and all all the kind of all the people in the bracket are hanging around by the mat. And there's a little bit of that mental game going on then, right? You see the people that have got the headphones on and they're bouncing up and down. They've got their fingers are taped up and they're slapping their chest and their face, right? So all this, all this kind of stuff goes on then. Some people are a bit more, you know, doing some jumping jacks like you would. Sebastian Brosh, really right. He's right next to the mat. He's about six inches away from the mat. He goes into a handstand and holds this handstand that is so straight. I think I've seen broom handles. That have got more bends in them, right? And he and he's and just holding his hat, this perfect handstand, just completely chill. And you and you look at him and you go, "Shit, <laughs> what kind of what? What kind of, I wasn't I wasn't fighting him, right? He was a diff, I was in a different bracket. But you you look at him and you go, "Wow, what 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 are, what are you thinking right now? If that's the guy you're about to compete with, that's it's pretty that impressive. Is mental warfare. It is mental warfare. Yeah." It is at its best because <laughs> it gets everyone thinking. Go, who's this guy? You no, know? but yeah, yeah it, it's a big game. It's a big game. The mental side of it, isn't it? You said it's a big game, and having that right mentality in training and in competition. Uh, without I, it, sorry, go. On. I was going to say, not finish your thought, but then I've got something that Chris Chris Thompson or Tomo, as you call him, posted yesterday on Facebook. After I thought I'd try to question you on this stuff, so it was quite timely. But finish that thought, and we'll, I want to okay, get to this. Just yeah, just just having that right mindset in training, competition. It, you've got to have the mindset. You you can't just have the skill set. You've got to have the mindset to to sort of to push yourself uh, and to achieve. If you, if your mind's not right, you're just gonna sort of you'll end up marking time until you get that right mind sorted out. Yeah, it's hard. And do you, do you think you get it right all the time? No, in training, yeah, um, and like I say, it's not about. I don't. I don't care about losing, about beat, getting beat and tapping. I don't want to tap to nobody. Believe me, there's not one man on this planet I want to tap out to. Nobody, I know yeah. I'm going to. So I've accepted it. I've accepted that I will get tapped out, but I don't want to. I don't want Chris to tap me out. I'm tap me out. I don't want him to. You kidding me? No. If I get, I'm, I'm fucking livid. But I know he will. I know that, and I've accepted it. And it's the same with competition. But even in the training gym, on the training mats, I'm the same. I don't want to get beat by nobody. I want to beat everyone. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody on that mat who I train with that day, I want to beat everybody. Yeah. 
and some people yeah. have a different attitude to it. It's not about that. It's not about. It's about the the process and and it's about evolving. It's about you know the learning and becoming a better competitor, a better human. Yeah, that's cool too. Just don't want to fucking beat you though. I still don't want to lose. I still, yeah, I still, want, to, I still want to. I still want to strangle you and choke you out and go. I beat you. <laughs> yeah. But that's come from the military too. That's something I've brought with the military. I don't want to lose. Remember, if I lose on the day, I die or someone else dies. So we've always got that mentality of we're going to fucking kill everybody. Everybody dies. We don't. Just them. We kill them. That's it. You know? So state, that's why I've got that mindset now. The stakes are so high, right? You've got to. They're so high. Yeah. And I, yeah. I've just brought that with me. I brought it with me. That kill or be killed mindset. Have you have you heard of the? I don't know if the, I don't know if there's a name for this concept, but I've heard people talk about it in relation to the U.S. Marines, where you you can typically do forty percent more than you think you can. Where, and I think they they talk about it in relation to physical activity. So if you if you do ten pull ups, if you really push yourself, you could probably do four more. And I and I wonder if you know if you've got that mentality of I don't want to lose. You know how much more could you get out of yourself in a particular situation? If you have that mentality, you know. Yeah, I've never heard of that forty percent rule, but I, I I agree with it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, massively, okay. you can push yourself beyond any limit if you need to. Yeah, yeah, we could go deep. Unless you unless you're weak, unless you're weak as piss. If you're weak as piss, you ain't. You're fucking falling before you've even hit your hundreds. And I've seen that a million times in the military, really? in the job I do now on the mat. You're like, fuck off, man! You're weak as piss. You didn't last. Mentally, mentally weak or physically weak? Both. Yeah. <laughs> Both. Mentally and physically. Remember, you can yeah. always push yourself a little bit more. People go, you, people say, you know, you, the mental thing will push you further. But if you're not physically up to it, I'm a big believer in that physical condition. If you're not physically up to it, it doesn't matter how much you want it. And I've seen guys want things so bad. I've been, I've been, I've seen guys want things so much. And they just physically can't do it. No matter how strong their mind is, the body will not react and will not do it. I've seen it. Watched it with my eyes. I've watched grown men cry, going, I can't achieve this. My mind's there, but my body just won't do it. In the, in the military? In the military, yeah. Seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Seen it, witnessed it, and walked past them and go, well, I can. So. See you later. Yeah, it's not, it's not all about the mind. That body's got to be, the body's got to be on par with it too. I think a lot of people throw out the idea of belief and positive thinking because they mistakenly think that, oh yeah, just by being positive and just by believing in yourself, you're going to get something. And I think that's not what the majority of people who are proponents of positive thinking and belief actually think. They also know that you've got to put the work and you've got to prepare your body, right? Um, but I think a lot of people will throw it out and go, yeah, just because you think it's going to happen doesn't make it happen. No, but when you believe in yourself, you'll get out of bed early every morning and put the work in to actually get where you need to be. Let me tell you something, Lawrence, right? So there's a reason why I'm so driven. I won't give you every detail, right? Because some of it's private. Um, so I wanted to do something in my military career. I'd, I dreamed about doing it from the day, pretty much from the first year or two I was in the army from a young lad. All I want to do is this one thing. And I got the opportunity to do it. And I was doing the course I was doing. And I passed the first couple of stages. And mentally, 
I quit. And I quit for a, a certain reason that I thought was the right reason. Um, and it, I wanted to be a one percenter. I was like, I just want to be a one percenter. And I'm there. I'm doing really well. I've been told I'm doing really well. I'm told you're going to pass this. Keep doing what you're doing. You're passing. You're with us. You're good to go. And I didn't. I went, I don't want to be here no more. And not because it was hard. Because physically it was hard, mentally it was hard, but it was not, I had the aptitude to do it. I was easily had the aptitude to do it. I was, I was shining, as, I, as the guy said, you're shining right now. And I chose not to do it. I pulled myself away. I went, no, I don't want to do this. I've got some, I want to be with my family. I'm just going to take me away from my family for longer, longer, longer. And it's not for me. Okay, no problem. And I've regretted that every day in my life. And I said to myself, when I started doing this jujitsu, ju ju I'll never let that happen again. I'll push, 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 push until I've achieved what I want to achieve. I won't give up. I won't stop. I won't make an excuse. And I won't go. It's not for me anymore. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so driven because I gave up on something that I knew was in the it was in the, it was in my hand. It was there for my it was there for the taking. I was that close to it. I could feel it. I'm like I'm right there now. I'm right there to be in the top of my game. I'm at the top of the tree. I'm right there. And I went, nah, and gave it up. Gave it up. So, and I said, so I'll never do that again. This was early in your military career? 2007. Yeah. 2007, yeah. And I'll I'll never do like that a, again. Was it what, to get into a special unit? Or, or was the, the yeah, yeah I don't want to go too much into it yet, but pretty okay. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Okay, okay. So, because it's can, a sore point, and not, anyone, not many people know about it, and, it, it, it hurts me. Do you know what I mean? It hurts me inside still now. I'm like, Ugh. and it was there. It was there for the taking. I was like, I'm there now. I'm there. And I went, nah. And I told them, no, it's not for me. I don't want to do it. I'm all right. And it was nothing to do with the physical side, the me but the mental side, I just chose something else. And I don't regret choosing something else, but I regret not achieving what I, what I set out to achieve all them years before because it was a long amount of time thinking about one subject so i've just replaced that with this and <laughs> i said i'll never stop i'll achieve what i want to achieve but do you think there's also something to be said for you know sometimes you're on the wrong path and sometimes you need to have you know you need to be bold enough to be able to say and admit to yourself actually this is not what i want to do and if you take the example that i know joe rogan talks about this a lot right people who are working in in jobs that they don't like um, just to pay, you know, pay for houses that they're never in, etc. But you know, a big struggle, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and I saw this a little bit with my my wife. But she overcame this and had the guts to say, "No, the career path I'm on right now is not the one for me." And you know, having having sometimes having the guts to give up and follow on, you're not giving up, but you're going towards something else. Do you think there's something in that as well? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That takes that. You know, how, much, how much courage does that take? That's some pain, and that's a different type of courage. We're not talking courage where I go and fight someone on the mat. That's a different, whole different level of courage to give up on a dream and realize actually everything I've thought about for all these years since I was young is not what I'm gonna. It's not what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. I'm gonna choose something else. Yeah. And for me personally, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been on this path I'm on now. Do you know what I mean? My yeah. my wife, my kids all train jujitsu. My wife trains Muay Thai. And my kids do a bit of Muay Thai. 
you know, if if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be in this spot right now talking to you with the love I've got in the heart for, for, for grappling. I wouldn't have yeah. that. And imagine that. I couldn't even think of that now. So I'm always thankful for the choice I made. But I know why I'm so driven because I'll never, I don't want to, I don't like using the word quit. Uh, I don't want to give up on something ever again. I don't want to give up on a dream like I did. I gave up on a dream for a reason. Good reason. But I'll never give up on this one. My dream yeah. is to do this forever. And I won't give up on that, yeah. you know, no matter what comes my way. Injury, emotional state, whatever it is, I won't. Do you have, uh, there's never an end goal, right? Because if you don't want to give something up, it's not an end goal. But do you have, um, you know, bigger aspirations with, you know, with Jiu-Jitsu and what you want to do with Jiu-Jitsu? No, I want to, obviously, people, I want to be a black belt. You know, who doesn't? Yep. I, I hate yep. it when people go, I don't care about the belts. And yeah, the belts, look, if I take my kimono off, I'm not a brown belt. I'm just a guy who grapples. That's the way I look at it. But I put a kimono on, I'm a brown belt. I do jiu-jitsu now. And for people to go, oh, I don't want, uh, I'm not bothered about the belts. I don't care about being a black belt. Fucking bullshit. I'll call you out on it. You're telling me you're putting all that work in for what? Because you want to, you, you, I want to be a black belt. Of course I do. I'm, I'm yeah. honest with that. I'm not going to hide and go and, and try and be the cool guy like, and go, yeah, it doesn't mean nothing. It fucking does. It's, it, it, it's, it's someone else's, I believe it's someone else's uh, sort of, what's the word? Estimation of my skill. Not my own, because someone else gives it to me. Someone else is saying, John, I believe you're at this level of knowledge, not just skill in sparring, but of knowledge as well, which I enjoy. Someone's saying, right, you understand this to this level, to an, a sort of expert level. And that's, that's amazing for someone else to think of that of you. Um, but it's not the be-all, and it's not like um, it's the only thing I think about. It's not. It's not because I take that gear off, and I don't even know. I'll, I'll wrestle anyone. I'm just wrestling with you now. There's no kimono. There's no gi. There's no belt. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to achieve I, that. I want to get to that belt. I do. And then, you know, I want to open my own gym in, my own t- in, in time. I do. It is a it is a goal of mine, and I think a lot of black belts feel like that too. Where they're like, you know, I'd like to teach because you, I've been teaching them since I've started this before I even put a kimono on. I still want to yeah. do that, but I still want to yeah. be a student. I still want to be with me instructor. I still want to be with me with my coach every day and be learning from him. I want to be a student more. I want to be a student a lot more as well because right now I'm a I'm, an, I'm a coach more than I am. Uh, I don't like even call myself a coach yet. I'm not. They're my training partners. They're not. I'm not the coach. I tell them this all the time. They're like, yeah, but you're a coach. I go, I'm not. I'm your training partner. Your coaches are at home. They're your coaches. I just train with you and I just show you shit. That's it. I show you cool shit. I just show you cool shit and that's it. I'm your training partner and I do it so I get to train. I'm selfish. Um, but I, my goal is to keep doing it forever. Keep grappling forever. That's the long-term goal. Just keep grappling forever and, and never never stop loving it. I don't think I will. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, For a long time, I've wanted to open up a school. And, you know, maybe within the next 18, 18 months, our, our situation may be in a place where I'm able to do that. And when I first decided, oh, you know, I wanted to eventually, you know, teach and own my own school, it was because I wanted to live the jujitsu lifestyle. But more and more, now that I do a lot more teaching, 
the bigger motivation for me, not not that I don't want to live that lifestyle, but the bigger motivation for me is I want to have a positive impact on, on people's lives. And there's a number of ways that I could do that, but I see how directly I can have a positive impact on someone's life through jujitsu. And it's not just through the technique that you teach them, it's everything that comes with that, right? All of the personal development that comes from, you know, developing someone on the map or let's say not, I'm not developing them giving them tools that they can develop themselves and for me that's a big motivation right to be able to you know to look back in say 30 40 years time and to be able to look back and say yeah you know I genuinely had a positive impact on these people's lives it's like well what more could you want at the end of things right all you know money is nice and possessions are nice and being able to go and buy all these fancy things and go on great holidays is brilliant but to be remembered by so many people for just helping them i think is you know what else what else could you really want at the end of the day yeah i, I know right i'm not going to be a world champion i know that right i know that i'm not i'm never going to be a world champion i'm I'm 39, coming on 40. I don't compete. There's masters. At, there is masters. I don't, there is masters. I don't, yeah, there's masters, but I don't, I don't, I've got no aspirations to go and compete at IBGF big competitions. I'm not. I like doing comps. I like doing a little sub only when I can. Stuff like that. But what I, what I, what I know I can be, I can be a good, I can be a good coach and I know I can train people. And, yeah. I, and I've watched since Chris, since Chris has opened his, his own gym. And I've watched the enjoyment he gets out of watching the guys compete, watching them advance. I'm like, that's, I know I can do good at that. And that's something I would, that's one of my goals is to be a great coach. Don't want to be yeah. a great competitor. I, I want to be a good competitor. I want people to go, man, you fucking roll with him. You know you're in a fight. Or yeah, I don't even want to roll with that guy. I still want that too. But I, I want to, sort of want to be able to coach people and be able to watch like he does he goes and watches us compete and he gets a buzz and goes yeah man there's my, there's my boys competing and winning um, yeah. and I'm, I'm sort of doing that now slightly or I have been you know with me being out here and, and teaching the techniques to the guys and rolling with them like I say my mindset is you're my training partners not an else I'm just teaching them the moves um, your coaches at home for the guys who don't have coaches at home sounds you can you can think of what you can think of me as your coach if you want to. I'm off first, but yeah, my goal's not to be a world champion. It isn't. It's just to be good at what I'm doing and be tough—a tough role for any man—and to get better at coaching and teaching and being able to pass on my knowledge to people. Yeah. yeah. Damn, you made me think about what I want to do. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. You're not going to sleep. T- you're not going to sleep tonight now. No. And especially no, to open your own gym, like you said, you want to open your own gym, and I'm sure everybody has aspirations at one stage to go. You know what? I want to open my own gym too. Um, I think is it is it that sort of it happens a lot, doesn't it? The student, the master. When the when the student gets to the, like you know the master level, he then moves on. He opens his own gym and he has his own students who then take his role become a master and they open theirs it's, it's, it, it happens in every gym doesn't it it happens with every every gym around I think yeah um, otherwise we'd have no gyms if, if the students didn't open their own we'd just have the, you know a couple of gyms around well it's, you, see, you see how quickly the sport is growing right and it's just a natural progression when you think of yeah. your story of you know, back in 2009 less than 10 years ago you know not been able to find anywhere 
to, 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 to you know where there's a proper school that you you can train at and now there's pretty much any big city even the small cities in the uk jujitsu is everywhere and it just becomes exponential almost right um you know over time people just move on and yeah it's very common isn't it it's very common yeah it's, it's people, common yeah because you know typically the people that you see teaching on the mat in more schools are the guys that have just stuck with it and they've just come through white you know blue purple brown and black well you don't need to be you know that belt to teach right absolutely not but it's just a natural progression i, I think also i've got a, i'll have a different outlook than most people because i've done my path's different to most people and that's something then you know i've got that experience to share with other people um, you know, guys who can't turn up to training every day, guys who work away abroad. Well, I, I understand that with a lot of, you know, I'm lucky. My coach, my coach, he knows and understands. He knows I'm training, so I'm not marking time. And I've seen other people having to mark time because they're not home with their coach. Their coach wants them there. And even though they're training here, it's not recognised when they get home that they're training. Really? Probably more than more. Yeah. And they can believe me, they're training here more than most people. Your average, what does your average Joe trainer three, three to four times a week? If yeah. that, if he's lucky, these guys yeah. here are doing six days and sometimes double sessions. That's add on that all the strength and conditioning that they do and the weight training that they do. And I've seen people not that not be recognised. And they're mm. like, you know, what's happening? I'm not, you know, everyone's flying at home, and the coach says, oh, well, you need to be here a bit more, mate. And you're like, mate, I'm I'm training more than any of your guys. It's a you bit know, of a unique situation, right, isn't it? You know, if people are just at home, if you're at home and you're jumping around between gyms, then I kind of get not being graded then. Because yeah. you, you you know, but if you, it's a very unique situation where it's your job and you're away for that period of time and it's not like you're, well, like your, your point, right? People, they're training more than people who are at home. Yeah, big time they are. And you see, you can see them advancing quicker because they're just doing it more. Um, but I've been lucky. Like I said, I've been very lucky. I've been blessed that the the people teaching me, my coach, he understands any and he accepts and he knows I'm training hard and I'm doing the right things. He, t- you know, he'll let me know. Oh, yeah, I know you're doing the right things. Don't worry about it. You're cool, man. You're good. Um, just yeah. some people are unfortunate that it doesn't get recognised. But I've got a different outlook then, so I'll be able to recognise that. Um, and like I say, it's not something. It's not something that I want to do next year. The year after. It's that's you know in the future I can see myself doing it. I really can. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, I'd agree, man. It seems to be you know a very good fit for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Yeah. So I've got about five, 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 ten more minutes before I need to. I need to wrap up. Yeah, man. Okay, mate. Get him, get him, get him pretty late for you. You know, you pretty. Yeah. Much okay, I'm gonna put this one out there now. I'll put this out there. You told me half eight. We started at half nine. You need to sort out that timings, man. Did we? No, I, was I ready don't. To, did I tell yes. Oh, you told me half eight. Hours. Half hours. Oh, I was shit, sorry. I got like for an hour. No, you said. Hang on, hang on. You said you said eleven and a half. Yeah, you said half eight. Yeah, you said. You told me eleven and a half hours different, right? Twice at nine o'clock my time is eight thirty your time, right? Yeah, and we started at half nine. You were late. No, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> was I late? I'm sorry. sorry no, it's all right, mate. You was I was we, chilling anyway. We, you know that. But yeah, I've got stuff to do. It's late now. It's uh, twenty past eleven. My wife will be getting yeah. home from training in about 
30 minutes. Cool. Chat with I'm her. cool. Yeah, chat with we didn't her. Even talk, we didn't even talk about strength and conditioning, you know. I know. Do you want to hit it quickly? I can hit it. I can tell you what I'm doing. If you haven't got we'll, time, we'll, we can move we'll, on. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to speak again. But yeah, go on. Tell me, tell, right. tell me some... What's, what's the latest? What's the latest thing you're... Right. You know, you're playing, so, playing with. what I'm doing... Here we go, right? Blow you away with this one. So, <laughs> I'm looking at my whiteboard behind me. So, the plan is each week, this is what I have to achieve each week. So, obviously, my jiu-jitsu six days a week. Have to get them sessions in. They're an hour and a half plus each session. And that's with minimum of 40 minutes sparring each one. Um, yep. And then and a minimum of 20 minutes of live drills, so live takedowns. Um, that short portion of technique. Like I said, each the, the technique links on for three days anyway. Um, Muay Thai, I'm doing three Muay Thai a week uh, with my Muay Thai coach. I've got a, a dedicated Muay Thai coach here um, yeah. who, who lives in Thailand, so i got really good training with him. Strength training, three times a week. We sprints, three a week. We core, specific core training, three a week. And then do three circuits. So we're talking uh, your basic jujitsu style circuits, kettlebells, sprawls, sprints on the stairs, things like that. Um, and then I've got three additionals. Now, them additionals can be anything I want. And I try and factor in all them into the seven days. So that's 21 sets of sort of training outside the mat. I try and fit that in the seven how days. The, how the fuck Fucking it's madness, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. madness. I know. Someone men- I mentioned someone the other week, and they were like, "How the fuck are you doing that?" Obviously, some days I cost, some I can't. So what I try and do today, like so today, um, I got two sessions in today. I didn't do my jujitsu because obviously we had the podcast, but I got two in today. I'm trying to do three each day if I can. If I can't, like the other day, I got four sessions in because I didn't have work. So I woke up in the morning. I went into my strength training. I had a bit of scruff. I then did my Muay Thai straight after that. A little bit more rest, bit of food. I did my Jiu-Jitsu. And then at 9 o'clock at night till about half 9, I did half an hour of sprint work straight after sparring. And I got four, so there's my four sessions. What I try and do is make sure my sessions, this conditioning sessions are not longer than 40 minutes to an hour. And I can yeah. fit it in then. Obviously, some days I work loads. So that's why I've got it open. There's no days on it. It's just in the week and I've got boxes and I tick the box. So like today, I did only got I got me um, my strength training in. I worked my legs today, um, lower half of my body, and I went right. I'm going to do upper half of my body as well because it, I'm going to get it in. So I've got I haven't got the time because I'm doing this t- tonight. And then I know more, I'm out all day tomorrow, so I've got two in. So there's the two. And if I've got a free day, I just maximise that whole day of training. I just make sure that day's dedicated to training, fit as much as I can. And if I'm busy, fine, so be it. I didn't train that How day. How do you feel the next day after a, after one day Sound? doing four sessions? Yeah, no worries, man. No, just normal. Just feel normal. It doesn't bother are you. Me. Max, are you maxing out on these sessions? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm going to. I'm. I'm. I'm not going anything less than eighty percent. Especially like things really like the Muay Thai. I'm going hundred percent, man. I'm. Going, I'm working power and endurance, speed, to skill. I'm going for it. You know the sprint work. The sprint work. I'm going hundred percent as I can. Be weight training. The the only thing I will say with the weight training is I don't want to ever get it. I've been injured weight training, so I yeah. try not to I try not to destroy myself too much lifting the weights. 
Because yeah. the aim is not to be to get bigger muscles, just to get work on my strength, keep my strength, keep stronger. Um, and we talked about the Mark Ripperto stuff I do. So I'm yeah. not gonna go to my one rep max on my squat. I'm not because I'm, I'm I don't want to get injured. Regardless of technique, when you when fatigue sets in, even if your technique's good, something will give out. So that is one part of the training where I'll go right. I could have give more, but it's a slow process with the weights. I'll just go. I'll just build it slowly. I'm not trying to go crazy. I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder. Uh, but all the others, yeah, I'm going max out, man. I'm trying to push myself just to be better. Dude, you make it'll me feel lazy. It'll, it'll help me on the mat, won't it? Help me on the mat. I'm trained with savages, man. These guys are beating me up when I go off. Oh, you know what I mean? I've got to do something to try and keep up. And especially young kids, man. These young lads want to think they're, think they're fucking good. They want to take the brown belt out. Well, fuck you. I'm training every day. I'll <laughs> beat you up. Walking blue belts and purples trying to take you out and kill you. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, I've got to, I've got to keep up, and I'm sure it won't be able to, I won't be able to last forever. You know, I'm nearly forty, about forty next year. Um, so I'm just doing what I can so that I've got a good base. Now I started all this training late. Uh, I know we haven't got time, but in the military we didn't do any of this strength and conditioning. It wasn't about that. I didn't even lift yeah. the weight. Never did a, you know, just did a push up. So I've got into this later in life. So I'm behind the curve where these young lads are coming into it now. Do you know about training? Do you love going to the gym, looking at themselves in the mirror? They're all strong. So, yeah, yeah I've, got a bit, I've got to keep on top of it just to beat them up. That's what I'm doing. Man, 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 it's mental. And if you can't do it, don't worry about it, Lawrence. If you, that's what I say. If I can't do it, who gives a fuck? I didn't do it. I'll try again the next week. I'll try and get that many yeah. in. If I can't, so what? Don't, don't stress the little things. I'm training hard enough as it is. I'm on the map pushing myself, so don't matter. I think I think we've talked about this in the past, and when I when I talk to people and work with clients, I don't. My approach is definitely not that much volume, but if it works, it works. Uh, but I, I do like the idea of setting a certain amount of things you've got to get in in the week over seven days, and not really worrying too much about okay, this day I'm doing this, tomorrow I'm doing that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But just knowing you've got to get you, you've got to hit the targets for the week. And however you can get them in, you can get them in. I think it's, it's an interesting approach that probably a lot of people could benefit from. Where you know their they, you know their schedules are in, you know are all over the place, etc. Yeah, I like just, that idea. Just get it in, and some of it's small, like like the sprints. I've just done an hour and a, you know if we just do com class, so com class is pretty much an hour and a half straight sparring for the hour and a half. You know anywhere from between three to 10, 12 minute rounds. Straight after that, we're going sprinting. All right, let's go. And that might be just 20 minutes of all-out sprint, you know, sprints. 100-meter sprints, walk back. 100 meter. And we just set the timer, right? We've done 20 minutes, we're finished. So when you think about it, it's only 20 minutes of your life in that day, out that 24 hours. It's not much. You can easily recover from 20 minutes of sprint work. Easily. And, you know, my background was endurance training. That's what I used to do, endurance training. So I can, yeah. I'm all right. I can get four in easy in the day. Easy. Um, if there's time, if there's time. You're mental. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, man. I'm cool. You know, I'm, just, I'm nice and I'm a nice guy, man. I'm a nice no, guy. Very normal. I think I'm normal. I think I'm normal. Other people are mental. There's people out there who are crazy, man. I'm just normal. I just want to do what I do. I just want to love what I'm doing. Try and be a cool dude every day. 
And you can't always be a cool dude, Lawrence, can you? Some days you've got to be a fucking dickhead to someone. Some days you'll have to be. It's not... Yeah. You can't always be a nice person, man. You can't. People will piss you off. People set you off. Um, we can't be holy as holy. We can't be what we what we envisage in ourselves as jujitsu practitioners or, you know, we're above everything. No, you can't be like that. I didn't grow up like that. And doing jujitsu ain't going to change me to becoming like this A1 person, which is just, you know, this amazing person. We've all got our faults and people piss us off. And sometimes you have to be a dickhead to people. Sometimes you got to set people straight, man. But as long as you're nice and try to be nice to everyone, which I try to be, and try to help people out, try and look after people if they need looking after and just be respectful of everybody, then I think you're not going far wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to like people, but you got, yeah, respect. I don't like fucking lo- and most people, to yeah. be fair. Yeah, there's only a few people I like. I like you. Um, and a couple of others. Pretty I'm glad much. I made the list. I'm glad I made the list. Yeah, like you, mate. But everyone else, I'll, I'll just fucking, I'll bear with you. <laughs> Grin and bear it. <sighs> yeah, just gonna bear it, man. Don't talk to people. Just fucking walk away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good. I think that's a good. It's a good place. way to finish, mate. In it. It is, mate. You are an incredibly fascinating guy. Oh, thank um, you, mate. I'll give you that, and it's got a lot deeper on the story, right? About you know your journey through jujitsu, and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy listening to it. And I think there's a lot of little lessons people can take from you know your experiences, even if they're not in those same situations, and can apply to their jujitsu. And I think people are going to really enjoy listening to this. And oh. we could have talked, we could have gone deep on you know many of the subjects. We didn't really talk much about the strength and conditioning and nutrition and you know those kind of things. So thank you, thank you for coming mate, on. Thank you, been... may I appreciate it, mate. And obviously, I didn't ramble on too much, and it's quite coherent. So sometimes I can ramble on, and I forget what the fucking question was because I get sidetracked, man. I'm, Dude, I'm firing on all cylinders. Um, I, I, you didn't ramble on, but I'm from Wales and you're from Liverpool. It's definitely not going to be coherent, but, <laughs> but it's going to be good. Mate, can I give a shout out to people before I go? Would that be okay? You got Absolutely. Time give, give, give people a shout out. Tell them where they can find you. Tell them about your podcast. Yeah, Let's do all of that. Oh, thank you, mate. That's awesome. Um, I wouldn't have done that because we're listening to yours, but now you've given me the okay. No, no, no. Absolutely. You have to. Um, you have to. Mate, I've just got to thank, obviously, I need to thank my coaches at home. Um, Chris, he's my coach. He's, he's my man. Um, Chris Thompson at Nemesis Grappling and ASW. Uh, thank Darren Morris, uh, head honcho at ASW HQ. Um, Cam Akatoru at ASW Manchester. You know, we're all part of the same clique. We're all in the team together. Thank my teammates there, Kev Mack, Pablo, my chicks, he's my teammate. My chimps, my kid, Ethan and Dominic, my teammates, uh, Paul Mords, they're my guys who are training with all the time. Um, and then, obviously, I can't not thank the guys here, mate. Carlos the Jackal, Big Danny, Fast Eddie, Jace and Andre. They're my guys here in Kabul who I'm training with every single day. They put the grind in with me all the time. Um, obviously, I've got my own podcast called The Grappling Life Podcast. Um, you can get that on iTunes, Podbean, and any other lunatic who steals it and puts it out as their own material. Um, I have got a Facebook page, The Grappling Life Podcast. Um, you can check us out there. Um, and we just do podcasts with cool people like Lawrence. Um, you're one of my best guests, actually, Lawrence. So 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Because you're interesting, dude. You've got another angle in jiu-jitsu. And I like that. You've got the strength side of it. You've got the psychology side of it. So a lot of people just get on, tell the same shit. Yeah, started like, you know, started jiu-jitsu and, and that's it. You've got a totally different, you know, side to what you do, which is cool. And I enjoy talking to you. Um, so thank you. That was it. Thank you. Thank you. No, this has been a lot of fun. And guys, please, please go and listen to John's podcast, right? It's a, it's a, it's a great show. And if, if you've been entertained by some of the stories today, and I was like pissing myself laughing with some of these, you want to, you want to hear some of the other, some of the other shows. Um, and, they, and they, and they, and they really get into things, right? But they, you know, there's, this and there's some fantastic guests as well, right? And you can hear, right? John clearly knows a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Um, so you'll have you have you know good good fun listening to it. Um, so yeah, get over guys, get over and listen to the Grappling Life podcast. But with that, John, I'm going to leave leave you go back and let the cat lick your face, and then uh, go and uh, <laughs> lick my ass. <laughs> I'm trying to teach you. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have one of the good reasons to have a cat, mate. <laughs> it's lonely out here, Lawrence. Lonely. You just put a bit of peanut butter on it. <laughs> That's what I've heard anyway. That's what I've heard. <laughs> so you've been told. So when I'm I said so sense photos, when you said sense photos, <laughs> I don't want photos of that kind of shit. I want normal photos. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <sighs> Thank you again, mate. It's been nice. Dude, you were awesome. You were awesome. And um, you're awesome. hopefully we cro- hopefully we cross paths when we're, when we're both in the UK at some point. Cross paths, yeah. not cross swords Lawrence there's rules in the game and I don't cross swords no game. man okay. you never done that you didn't, nope. you didn't play rugby man no mate there's <laughs> rules man gotta live by rules like that that's another conversation for another time it's another conversation off air alright buddy I'm just gonna, uh, I'm buddy, gonna, I'm gonna take fight. care have a you beautiful too, buddy. day have a great evening take care, speak man, soon man. buddy bye speak soon bye bye